This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Russell Kidd, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash howtowrestling and hey, our Hell in a Cell 2018 episode has just dropped along with all of our back catalogue available for all backers now. Kevin, I've been honing my wrestling know-how, my puzzle skills and my ability to appreciate amazing original artwork. Ah, it sounds like you've been playing the internet's favourite cool new wrestling game. It's called The Muscle Hustle and it's available for free to download on Google Play and the App Store. They say the best things in life are free. You can get a free gift from your best podcast pals, that's us, by putting in the code HOWTOKEVINOWENS to get a special gift a gift in game and even though this is a Kevin Owens episode we promise this is genuine friendship and we won't ruin it by powerbombing you into the ring apron which is the hardest part of the ring we all know Joe that the hardest part of the ring is putting down the muscle hustle because it's so addictive terrible hey but for now enjoy this episode it's time for the prize fighter it's how to Kevin Owens Greetings, friends, and welcome to the episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows, maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. And today we're talking about quite possibly everyone's favorite wrestler, at least that's what the tweets and interactions we've gotten can tell us. We're talking about the prize fighter, the family man, everyone's favorite bully, curmudgeon, and loudmouth. It's How To Kevin Owens. And once again, it's me, Cowboy Kevin joined in this journey through all the knowledge and learning about wrestling from past and present by my better half and learner of wrestling, Joe Graham. Hello. How are you today, Joe? I'm quite well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. I was wondering if we could give you a cool new nickname to mm-hmm. go along with our, our today's title, so mm-hmm. our today's subject, K-Joe. I don't get it. Kevin Jones. Just saying, if you and I, we haven't bagged that couple name yet. We've been going out a bit and we've not got the couple name Oh, I see. It's trying to be a couple name. Yeah, K-Joe or Kevin Jones. You do realise neither of us has the name Owens. Yeah, name. but Joe kind of... I just feel it's the only way that we can combine our names and be respectful to Kevin Owens, a.k.a. Kevin Steen. It's very important that any couple name has at least one professional wrestler kind of worked its way in. Yeah, exactly. That's why Brangelina Jolie should have been broken in this business because they didn't even consider any wrestling at all when they combined their names together. It was awful. Yeah. John and Nikki, of course. Jicky, uh, which we all remember, that, that whirlwind romance. We're talking today about a man who loves wrestling and a man who everybody wrestling seems to love. Joe, this is a guy who I think you've quite a bit of knowledge of to address the elephant in the room. I think out of every single wrestler we've covered, this, with maybe the exception of Sami Zayn, no, no, even still, more so than Sami Zayn, I have covered this wrestler's career. Like, did I explain that well? What I mean by that is, when I started watching wrestling, it was right around the time that Kevin Owens got signed to NXT, so I feel like I followed his career more than any other wrestler. 
Wow, that's a surefire way to let you know that four years have zipped by because yeah. I do remember like one of the first few things, you know, I was showing you little snippets of wrestling here and there to try and pique your interest. I know I showed you the Wyatts versus the Shield and that was yeah. one that certainly helped. And then I started showing you Sami Zayn and Neville, some of their matches, and you really were, were drawn to them. I think we mentioned in, in How To Sami, he was one of the first guys you saw. And he was having the big final confrontation with Neville coming up on the NXT show. And I was like, hey, do you want to watch your first ever full kind of wrestling show from NXT start to finish. And who was debuting that night but Kevin Owens? And I didn't think, you know, that it would be a... He would be your cup of tea. I thought he's very much the crusty old wrestling fans uh, wrestler, you know? But why? Because that's like... I mean, when you think about it, that makes no sense. I know, it doesn't, but... He's um, the opposite <laughs> of every crusty old wrestling fan's, like, favourite wrestler. Okay, the reason why I might have viewed it as this, and this is, you know, Kevin fully admitting that he hasn't introduced anyone to wrestling successfully before you, so... <laughs> but when I look at Kevin Owens at the time, he was someone I'd seen on the indies. Mm. So it's like, you know, when someone's getting into wrestling, you can't be like, oh, this guy is from this other bit of wrestling that you also don't know, and this therefore... extended universe that you're supposed to know about yeah. before you can really understand them. I don't think you really understood Star Wars Episode Two. You mm. didn't do the novel, the novellas in between. You didn't get all of uh, <laughs> Lucas's vision there, I'm afraid, guys. But yeah, he was kind of an obscure guy in, in some senses, and that he was never in WWE. And he was... Let's just say atypical looking in that he's not a stone cold cut up pound of beef. Mm. And, you know, he wrestles in a t-shirt and shorts and he's quite a mean guy. And his whole shtick, I thought, is like, oh, it's for us wrestling fans who like, you know, seeing a bit of trash talk or the fact that he's doing these kind of innovative moves. I didn't necessarily think he had a lot of broad appeal. So I kind of kept shtum about Kevin Owens like a fucking idiot. (laughs) I mean, I think. What you did was fine. Because, yeah, it is. It's difficult and a bit intimidating to be shown a wrestler who is massively famous and successful in the indies. And I mean, like, Kevin Owens was possibly one of the most famous independent wrestlers. Like, outside of, like, the Young Bucks or maybe CM Punk before he was signed. Like, Mm. he's one of the absolute biggest, most known names on the indies. Yeah, he definitely was able to prove pre-WWE that you could be a big star yeah. without being in that company because like, he had a lot of notoriety. And as a, especially as a new fan, I think it's always really intimidating when you're shown like an indie wrestler. You have to watch this like really kind of shitty footage and it's all blurry and the commentators aren't, you know, they're, not, they're a bit difficult to hear. We've heard a lot about this man, Nigel. He comes exclusively from companies where they don't have a four camera setup. Yeah. What's going to happen? And so it can just seem a bit like rinky-dink and then especially when like a lot of independent wrestlers, when they're, they're out to kind of make a name for themselves, they tend to do a lot more top spots, as I like to call <laughs> Hashtag them. Hashtag top spots. Hashtag top spots. And less of the kind of the, the wrestling style that I think, I'm going to make a big assumption, but the wrestling style that new fans sort of get behind a bit more. Because when you're a new fan, you don't know what's an impressive move and what isn't. Right. Pretty much everything is all on the same kind of level of, well, I can't do that, yeah. so it's impressive. Right, okay. <laughs> Whereas, like, obviously, when you watch wrestling a bit more, over the years, I've come to appreciate things like, you know, oh, Kevin Owens has been doing 450 splashes since he was 14 years <laughs> old. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. If you tell that to me four years ago, I'm going to go, okay, so that's different from a bump how? <laughs> like, what's the difference? So, yeah, I mean, I think it's for the best you didn't immediately show me his indie stuff, because I think I would have just kind of been a bit intimidated by it maybe wouldn't have gotten 
why it's good. So let me pick up on something you said, you know, the, the type of thing that you think new fans might be necessarily into. Are you talking kind of more about character-based stuff, comedy mm. things? I mean, how would you describe the character of Kevin Owens or Kevin Steen? Ah, he's a bully. That's all he is. I mean, I think his debut in NXT epitomizes his character perfectly, mm. which I think is why it's so perfect. I started watching right when he got signed. Mm. So he came along, as you said, Sammy was feuding with Neville. Neville was beating Sammy again and again and again and again and again and again. And it seemed like Sammy was never going to win. Like Sammy is the perpetual underdog. Mm-hmm. And then his best friend gets signed to NXT, Kevin Owens, and they have this whole amazing package detailing like, oh, these guys, you know, they've known each other for years before. They've been wrestling the indies for like, you know, t- was it 10 years? Yeah, we, we got onto MySpace and got all the dorkiest pics of them on tour. <laughs> like. <laughs> and it's really cool and you're really excited for Sammy because his BFF is there and, you know, they've got like this really rich history together. And then Sammy wins his match against Neville. And it's a thing of beauty. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe he finally did it. He beat Neville. And then Kevin Owens is like, actually, you stole my spotlight. And this is supposed to be my show. It's supposed to be about me. It's the first time you got swerved in wrestling, I think. It was. And it was like so soon. It was such a great swerve because I was so invested in Sammy. Sammy was my favorite wrestler. Yeah. The moment I saw him for probably, what, a year, two years after Mm. that, like... And then in comes Kevin Owens and just, like, destroys his career. A lot of people who've reached out to us with kind of comments and stuff using the old hashtag, how to Kevin Owens, they've been saying that they think his character and storyline is he is the world's worst friend and the world's best family man. (laughs) So he claims he's a prize fighter. He wants to fight to make money, make big paydays, and to provide for his family. Mm. But... En route to doing that, he's destroyed every friendship, betrayed everyone along the way because he's a jealous, horrible man. And we decided to look at the documentary that WWE produced recently, which was Fight Owens Fight. And I think a lot of the documentaries that WWE have done recently have kind of fallen off the radar a little bit because they're still being released on, like, you know, physical media which is Joe Graham's favourite type of media, which we all know. And <laughs> there's an army of people waiting to tell you why DVDs are making a comeback, just oh. so you know. But a lot of these documentaries that have come out, I know we did the, the DDP one recently as well, where they come out in DVD and stuff, but everyone's on the network and assuming all the docs and stuff that are coming out are on the network. They should put them on the network. Yeah, because honestly, this was a fucking kick-ass documentary. We watched a lot of docs for Kevin Owens. We watched his 365 that he did, where they followed him around. It's on the network. They followed him from SummerSlam 2016 to 2017. We listened to The Art of Wrestling with Cole Cabana, with Kevin Steen on it as well. We watched a little bit of the Kevin Steen show. But yeah, Fight Owens Fight is kind of where we're going to navigate our paths through and I must say it was an absolutely fantastic documentary only an hour long and yet it managed to hit it on the main notes of his career and the nice thing about it Joe is that it framed all of his kind of story like you know the first thing you see is him trying to get an interview and his daughter is like (laughs) he's got a pretty fucking cute family he's so cute family oh I mean with those genes I'm not surprised. You mean, of course, DNA, not like everyone in the family's got matching yeah, jeans. Very like. cool blue Dean Ambrose jeans. His boy is called Owen, which mm. is why he changed when he came to WWE. He used to be called Kevin Steen. Yeah. And he changed it to Kevin Owens. That's very cute. And after his son Owen. And isn't his son Owen named after Owen Hart? Yes, he is. I thought so. Which is pretty amazing because, like, when I think of Kevin Owens and I'm watching a lot of his stuff, 
you know, it's, it's funny to make a frame of reference because you know a lot about this wrestler now, but when we first were watching Owen Hart and he was doing a lot of the mouthing off and yeah. kind of being silly but serious and kind of goofy but a bully, kind of like, oh shit, yeah. It is. A lot of that there. Yeah, absolutely. Kevin Owens does play a very kind of younger brother type character, mm. like annoying and kind of mean. Maybe not younger brother, maybe. See, it's, it's interesting you say that because you're an older sister I'm and you went to younger. I'm more of an older brother And type straight away, I, I've got an older brother. I'm like, no, he's an older brother. <laughs> <laughs> Owen Hart's very much younger brother. Yeah. So I think that's where I was coming from but okay. no Kevin he's done the older brother angle absolutely the heel brother obviously the, the heel two, yeah. the older is the heel I say this as an older sibling I'm sorry Sean but the older brother is always the heel of the group that's just the way it is so Kevin Owens aka Kevin Steen has had unfortunately a difficult road to getting to a main kind of international platform and stage in WWE he is probably one of the wrestlers that we've covered who more so than anyone, was met with the biggest degree of scepticism, the biggest degree of people in charge telling him, no, you won't be a star, you've got an incorrect look, you're not going to be able to make it in wrestling, Mm. this, that, and the other. And for me, that's really shocking, seeing as we've covered people like the Sandman, who was nothing but encouraged (laughs) into the world of wrestling, and yet Kevin Owens, this absolute phenom in terms of athleticism and wrestling ability, has constantly had people tell him, that he hasn't got the look. Yeah. You've struggled to understand this. Yeah, and you know what? At first I thought it was because I was a newer fan, so I come from maybe this as a sort of slightly more modern standpoint, but no, actually, the more I've watched wrestling, the angrier the whole idea that his look isn't good enough makes me angry. It's just, it's absolute ridiculous. It's just, I'm, mm, I'm speechless with how mad I am about it. It just, it's meaningless it's stupid it's pointless it doesn't make any sense it's inconsistent it's hypocritical i'm so, so angry about <laughs> it i hate vince mcmahon so what well, well, not just vince though i mean he's got a lot of people along the way has has given him these these labels and i think a lot of the labels are overweight stupid you nonsense know? doesn't mean anything so like the fact that he's heavy set like I remember the first time I saw Kevin Owens and I didn't have a clue who he was. It was like 2008. I went to see a Ring of Honor show around WrestleMania time and out came this guy and he was just like, no, no, to be honest, he didn't look particularly spectacular, but he was, he was wearing a singlet and he came out with El Generico, completely unrelated to Sami Zayn, a different guy he shared uh, the road with. Yeah. But he came out and... Straight away, he enraptured me. And it was because of his body shape. Because here was a guy who maybe didn't have the ripped physique or whatever, but came into the ring and started doing crazy power moves, crazy athletic moves. I really think there's a lot to be said for a wrestler who looks a certain way, and then you maybe you make that prejudgment in your head. A lot of people, you know, would do that. I did. I kind of looked at him kind of go, oh, he's not going to do much, this guy. And then being blown away by what they do. It's actually works to their favour if you've got maybe a less typical body shape. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I don't come at it from the opinion of like, oh, I bet he can't do certain things. Yeah. I came at it more from the kind of like, oh, I imagine he will wrestle a certain style. Mm. Like, there are certain wrestlers who are heavier, who just have to because of their body shape and their cardio levels and their skill and natural ability. They are 
suited to certain styles of wrestling, which maybe aren't top spots and flip de doos and yeah, yeah. things like that. And I think historically in wrestling, the heavier guys, and especially guys who are actually like fat, you would mm. call them, haven't been allowed to really, or not encouraged to do that style of wrestling. And I know it's, it's, it's difficult because it requires like, you know, a lot of height. Yeah. And if you're lighter, obviously, that does make it a bit easier. It just mm. makes it more challenging. But like, I mean, it's wrestling. I've seen so many different people of so many different body shapes do so many different things. Like, what yeah. about Rikishi? That's true, yeah. Or Vader, who's 400 pounds and could do a moonsault. Right, exactly. Or Mick Foley, who yeah. could do any number of death-defying stunts. So like, that's yeah. Thing. Like, anytime I start thinking about like, oh, but they might not be able to do it because of their body shape. It's like, well, there's 10 instances off the top of my head where I can think of wrestlers mm. who are even more so that body shape and have done just as spectacular things. And that's definitely a thing about Kevin Owens is that he is, in terms of like just moves that he can do, one of the most impressive wrestlers. I think I've ever been consistently shocked by someone in terms of what they can do. That's the thing. It's not just impressive because of his body shape, though. It's like even if he was like, you know, weighed 120 pounds or something, what he does is so good. Yeah, because it's a mixture of real powerful stuff technical stuff and he can do them flippy doos yeah you and know? he does them so well and he does them so hard hitting and just oh the, the body shape thing just it means nothing I don't care mm. like it's just such a stupid thing to what get is, hung it's up on a handful of very powerful men usually who are much older than, than us and the wrestlers in question who are holding on to these ideas from fucking way way back like you know Mick Foley was meant to be the quintessential he changed Vince McMahon's mind on body shapes that was 1996 Jesus Christ over two decades ago and we're hearing now kind of still to this day when you've got people like fucking Samoa Joe on the roster or Cassius Ono who's fucking doing crazy shit in NXT you hear all these people who are still constantly defying that and you still kind of feel well Maybe when Vince McMahon dies, we might move on a little bit past this this discussion point. When I first saw Kevin Owens, my first thought wasn't, oh, here's a big fat guy who's not going to be able to wrestle, or I'm expecting a certain thing from him. It was, this guy looks like a bully. Yeah. He's terrifying. He kind of, you know, the bully look to him. It's kind of like, you know, when Dudley Dursley in like, I forget one of the Harry Potter books, he becomes proper like grown up heel and he's got like a knife and like a gang and he's doing ecstasy or whatever it is. Mm. That's the kind of vibe I always got from Kevin Owens of just like, uh, you probably were bullied at a point in school, but I'm very scared of you now. (laughs) Yeah, he is. He's proper scary. And the way he walks as well, like he really personifies his character Mm. perfectly. Like, he's legitimate. You don't think that he's pretending to be anything that he actually is putting across. And his look, I think, just adds to his character. Mm. Like, literally, I wouldn't change a thing about the way he looks. I think he's perfect for his character, for his wrestling style. Like, everything about him is surprising and cool and, like... But, like, realistic. Like, he's got that type of... When we talk about looks as well, Mm. the thing I really don't like about... The whole issue with Kevin Owens is people use the word look synonymously with weight. Yeah. Which, again, I think is pointless, meaningless. What a waste of time. It's got nothing to do with the look. His look is fantastic, Mm. obviously. The The look is in the eyes. That's where I always think the look comes down to. He's got that scruffy, horrible neck beard (laughs) and, like, pockmarked skin. He's got a little piggy nose. It's great. And I'm not saying this to say, like, he's ugly. He's not ugly. I think Kevin Owens is a very handsome man. But his whole look, everything about it comes together to create this sort of archetypical mean looker yeah archetype of a bully yeah Yeah. mean looker nasty man he just looks 
like the type of person you would absolutely not want to run into yeah. next to a cost cutter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got to take some cash out of the machine, but Kevin Owens is there and... He needs you know that what? money for his family. I'll, I'll get it later, it's fine. <laughs> Something I love about Kevin Owens as well, and we have very few wrestlers who actually fall into this category of French-Canadian. He is not a native English speaker. He is from Montreal, Quebec. He is, him and Sammy, both fluent French speakers as their, their main language. And I think that's absolutely awesome. I love the lilt to his voice, you know. He's got that kind of... You know, you can tell he's got the kind of the, the, the bit of the French accent that's in there, but he's so angry and he's watched wrestling for 15 years and that is why the voice always has that cane. I absolutely love the way he speaks. Like, I think that look is, is so great, but the fact that it's matched then, that he's always, like, he's constantly talking in a match. A story he tells frequently is that he was, like, 2005 trying to get signed to WWE and he met Stone Cold Steve Austin in an airport and he's like... What, if you can give me one piece of advice as you're going to get your flight to keep me in wrestling or to get me signed, what is it? And he just said, God damn, kid, just keep talking. So just keep mouthing off because that's what Steve Austin used to do. Mm. And that's what Kevin Owens has done throughout his career. And it all comes together to make this fucking perfect, genuine character. And one thing that's very evident about him is that he is a lifelong fan of wrestling. Mm. You know, he's been influenced by wrestling since he was a young lad. Yeah, so on the, the subject of him being bilingual, mm-hmm. they, they mentioned the documentary that he actually, like, yeah, he didn't speak English growing up. And so he had to learn how to speak English by watching wrestling. And what so he, a way. <laughs> he watched matches and then learned from Jim Ross how to speak in English, which is like mind-blowing for me because I think I was a Kevin Owens fan for what, three, three, maybe even four years yeah. before I even knew he didn't grow up speaking English. Oh, really? English wow. English isn't his first language. He speaks so fluently and so well and so confidently. Mm. I, yeah, no way in hell would I have ever ever in a million years have guessed that I love all the stories he tells and he's done this in, like, in Art of Wrestling with Colton and a few different interviews where he's talking about you know using the Jim Ross type of English and like sometimes it worked really well for him like when they were doing body parts he said it's like he knows what elbow is and the knee and the boot or whatever yeah. <laughs> because of what he's heard Jim Ross say and then there was one instance he was saying his teacher was like you know what's this person doing here and the person is like is walking you know and he puts his hand up and he goes uh Yes, uh, he's making his way to the ring. Oh, <laughs> bless. It's nice to know that he probably knew what the word Jezebel was and what that meant before, you know, how to order off of a menu. Oh, this is what young dogs are. Yeah, that's true. Cherry Lolly, yeah, mightn't be uh, the best person to learn from. You will get some basic animals and the French for Yahoo or... Yeah, he picked those ones up as well, so it's pretty damn good, you know? As for trash talking, as you were saying earlier, and him getting that from Steve Austin, mm. I thought that was, yeah, I thought it was so interesting. It was something that he had been doing from like a really young age, and the fact that Steve Austin just encouraged him. But also, he attributes that conversation he had with Stone Cold for like most of his success. Yeah. So he first encountered wrestling at a very, very very special time for wrestling Wrestlemania 11 which I've got to go on a record as saying is definitely hot in contention for the worst Wrestlemania of all time we may watch it sometime as a bit of a laugh if you've got three hours you want to kill and you want to see the highlight of the show be serious technical errors oh yay yay Pamela Anderson's there too folks but he was totally enraptured by it and you know, he tells the story several times throughout his career of 
you know, he grew up in not just, you know, Montreal, like in, in the big city. He grew up in rural Montreal. So you're talking middle of nowhere, no one spoke English. It's not as if the wrestling was coming along to where he was very, very <laughs> often. So he had this WrestleMania 11 tape, which apparently he watched over and over and over again. He spent summers at his grandparents' house and he would just, because he was so bored, he would just watch the same tape over and over again. And he mentions actually Shawn Michaels as being the person who inspired him first because there were all these big guys on the show but Shawn Michaels even though he was the littlest managed to be the kind of the most over the most spectacular and he viewed himself actually and he was a kid because he was quite scrawny thinking well if I wanted to be a wrestler I guess I'm going to be a scrawny little guy that's so cute and it's Shawn Michaels who actually encouraged him through that path by being so entertaining we got constant shots of young teenage Kevin Owens's wrestling themed bedroom which I think most people who grew up watching wrestling can empathize with doing the Chris Jericho pose in front of your picture of Sonny with your Chris Jericho t-shirt on and your Rob Van Dam action figures there's a really cute story that Kevin Owens has told <laughs> which was he used to have his wrestling toys who come out and he'd want to play the entrance music for them. Now, I totally empathize with this. I got WWE The Music Volume 4 and had wrestlers. You know, I, I went to, I was trying to buy my WWE theme song soundtrack. Which toys do I most have? And whoever had the most crossover, that was the one I'd get. So you could play it when they were coming to the ring for your wrestling matches. And his favorite was Stone Cold Steve Austin. And he wanted to have the real, the proper whoosh, you know, the, gr the glass break at mm. the start, the classic Stone Cold. And he felt that on the CD it wasn't strong enough. So what he wanted to do was to create the noise. And he got a mug, and he, as he has a Steve Austin figure, he fucked the mug at the wall Jesus. to break it. But because it was kind of like a shitty drywall wall, he just kind of went shunk and it kind of just inserted itself oh into the God. wall which made a big noise and then his dad came in and he's like what the fuck's going on here and he's there like wrestling toys and he's ruined a mug and a wall oh, no. and he was 17 years old he was 17 <laughs> we're gonna say seven. Oh no come on he was 17 no no it's okay, Kevin. We all kept our lineages in a notebook for the titles until we were 17. There's nothing Aww, wrong with that. But like the, it's okay. the really funny thing about that, though, is like he was already a wrestler by then. I know, he's already wrestling He'd training. He'd been doing moonsaults for like three years by that point. 450 splashes for like two of them. <laughs> he got into training really, really young. He told his parents, you know, this is something I really want to do. And his parents, you know, worked quite late nights and stuff, and they supported him doing it. He was raised by his grandparents for a period of time so he started going to wrestling training and he absolutely hated it yeah he says in the uh, the documentary that the first time he went he absolutely sucked that every time he had to take a bump it was like the worst feeling in the world mm. he like came out of it with like a migraine and bruises and pain everywhere in his body yeah and apparently he called his mum up who worked night shifts so it was like midnight he was like, Mom, I don't think I can do this. I didn't like it. It wasn't fun. And she, this is a common theme with his parents. They mm. seem like the best parents in the world. She was like, Kevin, I know you love this and you want this. Okay. And I know that if you put your mind to it, you're going to be really good at it because of how much you want it. So I think you should keep going. I think you should try and you should set yourself a goal. And so he brought out a mattress from the house and set up in his garden and he practiced taking bumps on it for like the whole next week. That's really cool that he stuck with it because, you know, I met a few people who did wrestling training and a few people who are actually wrestling trainers. 
And out of the two people I met who were wrestling trainers, both of them said to me independently, you can tell on the first bump if the person's going to stick it out or not. Like, yeah. when they take that first bump, and he says, usually it's a mixture of, ow, that's sore, and shit, what have I gotten myself into, and also a little bit of heartbreak, because shit, my dream is going to be a lot more physically tough than I bargained for, and guess my passion and my knowledge of wrestling <laughs> is going to make this less sore. And the fact that he had a shit time with it, and stuck with it, and managed to become the star student, that's incredible, because... For the Attitude podcast at the moment, we're reviewing a reality show called Tough Enough, where it's like they bring in, you know, random fitness and models and kind of sports people. It's like, hey, train to do wrestling. And they're like, out of 12 of them, half of them get injured and have to get sent home because Mm. it's just, it's too grueling, just this training. I mean, the way they train them probably, this is going to sound real ignorant. Okay, I realize I've never done any training, Mm. wrestling training. I've never... I don't know anything about it, but like it's so hard on them. Like I think the way Kevin did it is really clever because Mm. like by setting up a mattress in his garden, he said that he was able to practice the form of his moves and the form doing it correctly is what's going to protect your body and make sure that you don't hurt yourself. So the trouble is if you're practicing bumps for the very first time on like a hard floor, even on like a soft training floor, Mm. they're still really painful to bump into. It is. And a lot of times I think in wrestling training, there is an element at the start, I think, of, look, there's going to be... You have to assume 40, 50% time wasters are people who don't, who just won't be able to do it. Mm. And I think at the start, there's going to have to be that, like, can you tough out this kind of medium level of, of punishment? Because mm. if you can't do these bumps, that's it. There's no point in you doing this. Yeah. So I think it's just, yeah, to show who's got resilience more than anything else. And he certainly had that. Practicing 450 splashes at age 16 years old is not usually how people start doing things in wrestling. That's fucking insane. Yep. He got booked and was trained by one of the Rougeau brothers, who was kind of probably at the time the most famous French-Canadian wrestling family that had ever been. They had you know a territory back in the day before Vincent Mann would have bought it out and they were stars in the WWF. But he got labelled as being like the star pupil and he kind of was brought around to all the different indie shows that they would do in French Canada. And it was kind of like, here's the fucking prodigy. This guy is so fucking good. He's 16. He can do 450 splashes, moonsaults. And I always wondered, like, if you were just starting out and you've got a trainer who has been, you know, been a big star or has been to WWE and they're telling all the other promoters he's the star pupil, how does that not go to your head straight away and make you an entitled little shit for the rest of your career? I think it does go to your head, and from lots of people who know Kevin Owens, they would say that his ego is the size of the planet. But, like, rightfully so. Like, he's Mm. that good. But, yeah, lots of people... Adrian Neville in the documentary says that Kevin Owens is a dick. Yeah, I think the quote that was used here by one of his best friends, Jimmy Jacobs says, he's really good, but Jesus, he knows it. Yeah, exactly. That's like part of who he is. And that's part of what makes his character so naturally likable is because it's him channeling his own ego. Yeah, there's that kind of cockiness. Yeah, and he needs that cockiness because of everything else that he's faced, like all the adversity he's come up against. Yeah, if you weren't that arrogant and confident in your own abilities, you would be crushed by those sceptical forces. You certainly wouldn't 
be able to be a wrestler. Yeah, you I mean, have to have that ego. He's certainly come close, ego and skill as it is. You know, mm-hmm. throughout his career, he said a few times he came close to packing it in, saying it's not for me. Yeah. So that, I guess, goes to show you just how far ego and can take you. And it can be a positive thing, I guess, when everyone's doubting you. I love all this footage we get to see of him as like a young teenager working these Quebec indies. He had a, such a super fan move set. There was someone saying that in his first match, he did the rock bottom, the stone cold stone and half of Rob Van Dam's movesets. Wow. <laughs> but it's really impressive to see this, you know, young kid doing like split-legged moonsaults and doing all these crazy springboard things. Yeah, apparently his first match, which was in front of a thousand people, I mean, that's pretty amazing for a first ever match at 16. A thousand people? Jesus. Yeah. Like most UK independent wrestlers for the first time, their first ever match will be in front of like 10 people. There was a funny bit on one of the documentaries where they were looking at the WrestleMania set and he was with Chris Jericho and Sammy and they were like, it was going to be 100,000 in the stadium and they're like, what's the smallest crowd you've ever drawn? And he's like, I wrestled in front of 23 people. And it was in Montreal, my hometown. I drew 23 <laughs> people. But you were saying some UK... It was a Pete Dunne recently. Pete Dunne. Pete Dunne, the smallest crowd he wrestled in front of was two people. Fucking hell! Well, literally, it was just like a village hall. No one turned up. There was only... It was a couple in the crowd, basically. Oh. And, no, but Pete Dunne said that it was wrestling in front of tiny audiences like that that made him what the wrestler he is today because it meant he could had what like two people to focus on getting a reaction out of right. and he'd make it his goal then when he had really small crowds he'd focus on like one or two people perfect if there's only one or two people yeah, in the seriously. audience and he would like make it his aim to get a reaction out of them and like as many reactions as they could and that's where like Pete Dunne started developing like his horrible manoeuvres about yeah. like finger bending and biting and stuff. When you see that, that in like two people in the audience, it's the most unsettling thing ever. <laughs> I imagine you're alone in the county fair or in a village hall and Pete Dunne's biting on a finger. You've got to <laughs> fucking react. Which is great. If you know, if, if you learn better in those situations, that's fantastic. Obviously, Kevin Owens didn't need that. He mm. naturally has that antagonistic side to him. Where it just like he is just a natural. It's funny because he's like seems like a really nice guy, mm. bit of a dick, but a nice guy otherwise. But he still can channel this like horrible bully. Yeah, and that's super important. Like I don't know if his character he had it like straight away, but like that little taste of success and you know doing well on the indies. They got approached by CZW, which I do you remember CZW Combat Zone Wrestling? We've looked at them maybe once before in a previous episode. Yeah, I remember CZW. They were. The extreme wrestling people. Yes, they were basically... When ECW went out of business and Philadelphia was like, huh, you know what we need? Even more violent, dangerous wrestling with even drunker wrestlers and more drunks. <laughs> Combat Zone Wrestling, where, yeah, we would have seen Jimmy Havoc wrestling it, in yeah. Tournament of Death and stuff. But CZW, they booked a few of the guys from the Montreal scene. One of them would have been a young Stevie McFly, and they would have also booked... El Generico. Uh, El Generico, Sexy Eddie. They booked uh, Kevin Owens as well when he was brought down. And they were brought to CZW just kind of like as a package deal. Like, you bring down four guys, you know, you're going to do two shows, you can get a tag match out of them, a few singles matches, they know each other well. And that's, like, quite a hardcore crowd. And, like, specifically they mentioned, like, a four-way they had with those guys where they completely stole the show. And in perfect, excellent wrestling tradition, by stealing the show, they massively pissed off the owner at the time, John Zandig. Wow. Who was, who, right, this is so stupid, right? This is the only thing can happen in wrestling. 
I'm the fucking promoter, John Zandig. I book you to come down and do a show. You put on a really great show, standing ovation. What do you think you do after the show then? Ah, oh, you'll never work in this business again, brother. How oh, dare you? Better than that, he grabbed a random camera for the DVD and he went, These fucking Canadians! They're coming down here! They're trying to destroy CZW! You're never going to get fucking booked again! You fucking disgraces to wrestling! And, like, they overheard, like Kevin Steen said at the time, he overheard him cutting this promo. And it's like, what's he doing? And, like, he walked behind the camera, literally counting the money he just <laughs> he just paid him and he's there like going you just paid me why are you cutting a promo on me how do people like that work in this business like, honestly that shit like that makes me so angry i can't explain you why you work yourself into a shoot brother come on <laughs> you jabroni marks without a life <laughs> i just love the idea of like you know, I've put on stand-up shows before, and the idea that if I, like, brought someone in from ages away yeah. and paid for airfare, and then they did a really good show, and I'm like, you'll never work this town again. Why? It's so strange. It's, I don't know, it's this weird, competitive, I have to be the best, and even if you make me better, that's actually bad, because it means you're overshadowing me. It's stupid arrogant nonsense I hate it the worst thing about wrestling as it's an industry it's why people who are running wrestling shows shouldn't be active members of the roster at the same time I think and it's not even the last time this happens in Kevin no, Owens' career no but it's great because by being in CCW he was able to kind of parlay that into getting some other work you know that was his kind of foot in the door into American wrestling. I'm really glad we did the episode beforehand because he mentioned one of the most important things that happened was getting into pro wrestling gorilla. They managed to get matches with PWG and that was quite a big deal at the time because it was still kind of in its infancy. It only run for like a year or two and bringing someone in from Canada and getting their flights paid for and getting, you know, getting paid to do it. That was huge. And like he's told these really cute story in, a, in an interview where he was like him and El Generico driving in a car like from the airport in Los Angeles and they were like this is it, we've made it. Like, it doesn't get bigger than this. Someone is paying for us to fly from Canada to Los Angeles, the big schmoke, to, wow. to do wrestling. And we don't have to pay them to do it. Aww. Oh, it's so sweet. But yeah, PWG really was where they got to show what they could do in front of an audience that wasn't necessarily looking for blood and guts and people to be set on fire and thrown through tables and whatnot. And through that, he managed to parlay his way then into Ring of Honor, where him and El Generico formed one of the most beloved tag teams in Ring of Honor history. I love those two together. Lovely oddball. Like, when I saw him, that's why I love them so much, because like there's a guy in a mask and a guy who looks like a total fucking meanie Makes bully. Makes no sense for them to be together. Like, why would they be friends? Like, you know, it's just... And the kind of the story was is that Generico couldn't speak English and Kevin Owens just wanted a good tag partner. So he's like, you and me, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> The fact that he was in CZW at the same time, he was constantly trying, like he hated it. He said on record, he fucking hated working there. And all he would do when he was there was like run down how shit the fans were and how shit the company was. Anytime he won a belt, he'd throw it down on TV. And he still kept getting booked because like, oh, great heel heat, brother. It's like, no, I I hate this place. Oh my God. He garnered the nickname in Ring of Honor of Mr. Wrestling. Many people have been referred to as Mr. Wrestling. I think that's one of the coolest goddamn nicknames ever. It is, and it has to be well-deserved. So, yeah, kudos to him. Who would you make to be the first Ms. Wrestling in wrestling? Ms. Wrestling. Ms. Wrestling. Ooh. Not Ms. Wrestling, because that just no. happens every week. 
Oh, that's really tricky. Yeah. Who's a good enough all-round kind of technical, can do it all, you'd give the title of Ms. Wrestling to? But I'm not necessarily sure that's what I would look for, for someone to be Ms. Wrestling. For yeah. someone to be Ms. Wrestling, I would want them to embody as many aspects of professional wrestling hmm. as is physically possible. I don't know <laughs> off the top of my head that I could just name someone like that. Okay, we need anyone on Twitter, you need to hit up at Haichi Wrestling and let us know your nominations, recommendations for Ms. Wrestling alongside your rationale as to why, because I think we need to crown a Ms. Wrestling. It needs to happen. It's too cool a nickname to go to waste. If Dana Brooke was consistently wrestling the way she used to on NXT, I would yeah. call her Ms. Wrestling. Yeah, because she's got like the total wrestling look yeah. and she's got the character and all that. But they don't seem to want to let her. Mi- no. They want to let Ms. Wrestling. Ms. She's missing wrestling. Yeah, that's different though, isn't it? It's terrible. So him and Generico as a tag team. The reason why I think it worked is that I think the strongest story in wrestling for tag teams is the oddball pairing of one guy who doesn't quite understand the other one. You look at Team Hell No. You look at the Bar. Anytime you've got mismatched guys, you don't necessarily get on at the start. It always makes for a great story. Mm. This is where the kind of another recurring thing comes in with Kevin. You mentioned his parents saying, set a goal. So he becomes quite a goal-oriented individual. I mean, that's a pretty good way to live your life, right? Oh, absolutely, goal-oriented. Yeah. No, his parents sound like supportive in exactly the right way. Mm. As in, smart, measurable goals, be realistic, but, but honestly, go for your dreams. Like, there's no reason if you work hard and set achievable goals, you can't do that. But it kind of really forms Kevin as, you know, obviously as as a human being and it kind of really directs his whole career. And in wrestling, I think it's so valuable, but also so dangerous to have that mindset of always looking for the next thing, never being happy with where you're at. You know, as soon as you achieve one goal, you've got to make your next one, you've got to move on, Mm. keep doing bigger, better things. As Sammy says in the documentary, if he gets even the slightest sense he's not as important or more important than he was. He will change his direction. He will stop doing what he's doing. And that's like, that's really positive in the sense that you never want to sit there and be spinning your wheels. They say like outright in Ring of Honor at the time, and I would agree because I was quite a fan at the time. The number one most over thing was was Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson. Everyone loved him. Number one guy act on the show. And then after that, it was Generico and Kevin Steen. That, that was what people reacted to the most. And as soon as that's kind of lodged into his head, that means then, well, this tag team is holding me back. Let's finish it. We have to move on. That's great because it gives his career momentum. But we watched that 365 documentary and that kind of running hot and running cold thing. I'm either doing super well or Mm. my career is derailing. Fucking hell, that's got to get to you. In wrestling specifically, it's so helpful and harmful at the same time. Because yeah, absolutely. Wrestling as an industry is... It's so important that you are always keeping people on their toes and mm. you don't go stale. It's like it's an industry where if people get bored of you, that that can end your career just as easily as an injury. Yeah. 
But sadly, it's also the industry where you have very little control over how much you get pushed or how over you are. You know, a lot of it's up to luck and fate. Yeah, it's not a simple case of here are the goals and here's the path to getting yeah. them. It's so out of your hands. Sometimes there's a Vince McMahon standing directly in your way. <laughs> and going, nope, we are not cool. Yeah. And that can happen quite a lot. But like at the time, he already had all the tools. We watched a really early match of his from like 2007 from him and PWG. Him and... The youngest little Adrian Neville you've ever seen. Wee little pack. Oh, he's so cute. He looks like such a young boy from Newcastle in that match. It's from PWG Holy Diver Down from 2007. And like we just watched it, not to take notes, just to see early Kevin Steen. And he he was already there with the trash talking and the character and the really fucking exceptional moves. So you can kind of see why he wants to be. Maybe not just a tag guy. He wants to be the single star. So... Obviously, off that then, he being a wrestling fan through and through is like, right, how can I keep us fresh? I think we need to split up. Mm. And he turns on El Generico. Which is one of those heartbreaking moments in wrestling where like, like they tell the story of like how like we, they've got goosebumps. And as they're telling on the dock, they're both like, oh, look, I've got goosebumps now talking about it. Like, they lose their match for the, for the tag titles. They're like literally tears bawling out of their eyes. They're, they're hugging each other. People in the crowd are crying. Yeah, you've got 2,000 grown men crying about these two underdogs who've just fallen short. And I think they had said if they lost, they would never team together again. That would be it for them. And then he grabs and goes, I just want you to know, I hate your fucking guts. And he kicks him in the dick. And everyone is like, I don't know if you've ever heard a crowd get shocked while they're in the middle of crying, <laughs> but it's kind of like that, you know, it's the absolute pits of mm. negative human emotions. <laughs> Him and Generico got into a year long feud and we actually covered some of those matches from like Final Battle and whatnot in our episode about how to El Generico and an unrelated episode about how to Sami Zayn that was released at the same time. Mm. So they had a crazy, bloody, vicious feud that really like took the wrestling world by storm. Like It really put them on the map as being big, big names. I was watching at the time. It was the only time I was actually consistently watching Ring of Honor was from like 2008 to like 2011, around about then, because I was hooked as soon as I saw it. In my mind... I thought that they were doing real like, oh man, you've got a real hot thing going here and kudos to you, Ring of Honor management, for holding back and making Kevin Owens lose a Loser Leaves Town match at the height of his popularity and the height of his feud, kind of going, oh yeah, I know what you mean, you leave the fans wanting more. Mm-hmm. That's so fucking ingenious. And I remember thinking, all right guys, it, it makes no sense and I don't like it and I'm worried for Kevin Owens financially, but... Yeah, what a real ingenious thing to do to take the hottest <laughs> act in wrestling and kick him to the curb. He was gone for like close to a year, it felt like. And yeah. I thought that that was a prearranged storyline. What it was was Jim Cornette had come in. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Who, I'm really trying hard to like not. Every time he comes up in an episode, it's like, and then the man came and ruined everything. Well, that's his fucking fault, isn't it? He could have just not ruined everything. We had Brian Zane from Wrestling with Regret around recently. He was visiting Manchester, and I was kind of like, go on, Brian, tell us some great Jim Cornette stuff so Joe doesn't think he's an arsehole. And he's like, um, well, uh, uh, you want to talk about Buddy Rose instead? <laughs> I was like, God fucking damn it, like. Just assuming if you can do a sweet impression of someone, you can defend the nines out of them. But mm. it's very hard when you hear stuff like this because Jim Cornette took over and he took over as creative 
And even though Kevin Owens and Sammy were the two kind of big names, the top of Ring of Honor at the time, he didn't like El Generico's character because it was goofy and it wore a mask and he didn't speak English and how stupid that was. And he didn't like Kevin Steen because here's a guy who's nearly 400 pounds wearing basketball shorts. He doesn't look like a fucking star. He's I'm lazy. Sorry, He's got what, a bad attitude. What about a guy who's four, nearly 400 pounds wearing basketball shorts doesn't sound awesome? Just even on paper, that sounds like a great, cool wrestler I want to watch. It's so funny because like, I see so many of these like, kind of disputes in wrestling and then I just my teacher hat comes on. I'm kind of like, right, what you've got there is someone who's very, very good but not challenged by the work there, Jim, okay? <laughs> and you need to find ways to motivate him and make him think that it's his idea. That's how you would have gotten it. But instead, no, you just put him on detention for a year. He's going to hate your fucking guts. And I... Like, I loved the fact that he went in this exodus and all that, but I can't help but think that you did the company a lot of bad by getting rid of the hottest act yeah, exactly. straight away. It's exactly the same issue that he had in CZW. Mm. It's just, it's so stupid. It's so petty. Yeah. Like, fucking get over yourself. Grow up. Like, understand that these fans that are, you're kind of pitching to might have different tastes to you. Yeah, the whole world doesn't revolve around your bloody tennis racket, Jim Connett. <laughs> oh, I hate him. I just love you. Know, like, all you know about him all now I know is... is that he has a tennis racket and he's really rude. That's a bad man. He has like. no taste in wrestling. And like, he's horrible. Kelly, you can look at Kevin Cena at the time and you can kind of go, yeah, he is much heavier there than he was He looks now. awesome, though. Like, that's the whole stupid thing. I just... I refuse to believe that anyone can actually justify that they, they're pretending it's the look. It's not the look. His look is fantastic. It's yeah. literally just you, you yourself, have an issue with his weight. For some weird reason, just go get a therapist, okay? You obviously have some issues you need to work out. Don't take it out on this man who's just started a family and this is his job. He needs yeah. this income. It's so strange. It's like It's not as if you're not doing it to like they were doing it to the biggest crowds they'd ever done they were selling out like you know kick-ass venues like the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York like at the time for me I'm being so excited thinking I'm watching this show as it's going to become a viable number two product in America it's going to become really fucking big and popular and, and him and El Generico at the point were like like we're saying earlier, two of the biggest, most successful, most famous yeah. independent wrestlers in the world. And we've watched some of those matches. They're fucking crazy. They are absolutely ridiculous. Like, oh my god, it's just wizardry. Yeah, it, absolutely. like honestly, is just a wizard battle. That scene in Lord <laughs> of the Rings with um, Gandalf fighting Elrond, whatever his name is. I'm not a nerd. Sauron. Yeah, whatever. That that is that match. It's so <laughs> ridiculously good. It's so good. And am I right in thinking Daniel Bryan? He's obviously an independent wrestler around this time. Mm-hmm. Is this around the time he got signed to WWE? It would have been actually no, a year. It would have been just after he signed. Yeah, thereabouts, like two thousand nine, two thousand ten. So yeah. in that case, that would make Kevin Steen and El Generico like actually the two most popular then. Yeah, Nigel McGuinness, who would have been the other big star Ring of Honor, he also left at the time as well. So yeah, they kind of, a lot of people who are the tippity top guys, and, and don't get me wrong, I was to say Jim Cornette didn't have any kind of knowledge, I mean, his his golden boy at the time was Tyler Black, Seth Rollins, you know, that's who he wanted to push. Right. And the fans resented that quite a, quite a bit. But it's just like, I just hate in wrestling when people can't see the appeal of, of other... Like, there's wrestlers who I don't like who I can see the appeal of. Yeah. You know? And there's characters I don't like and looks even that I don't like, but I can still see 
the appeal of, you know? I don't like Finn Balor's demon gear, but goddamn, son, sell yourself some fucking toys and get some kids watching this shit. Yeah, awesome, great. Mm -hmm. You have to think beyond yourself sometimes. Even if your own opinions... You might, you know, surprisingly, a lot of us think that our own opinions are the best ones. <laughs> but sometimes you need to look beyond that. Also, money talks. Yeah. Like, why would you not look at ticket sales, look at your how, profits, and go, hmm, maybe what's, we, what's hot on our company? Yeah, maybe at the we moment. shouldn't get rid of, you know, you know, our top star right at the peak of his career. Like, so when I this happened, like, and I was watching as a fan. Like, I literally thought this was all a storyline. Like, kind of when Sandman went blind in ECW, like, Kevin Owens, he got, you know, he stayed at home to buy, to put this story over. He only did a few indie shows a year to put over the story that Ring of Honor had kicked him out. But no, the reality was, was that he wasn't been paid by Ring of Honor. He no longer had a contract with them. He would get shows. He worked with Dragon Gate. He worked with Evolve. He worked with a few different companies. He worked with PWG a lot more and did stuff with the Young Bucks. But he was literally a guy who had been married, he had just had a kid, and now he was getting less money than he had ever had in his last five years of his career. So sad. And he actually, at this point, you know, I think Art of Wrestling number 52 or thereabouts is when he has an interview with Cole Cabana, and he's at this point in his career. I remember being really eye-opening for me at the time, kind of going, oh shit, I thought he was just kayfabe this, but he's like, yeah, I don't know if wrestling's for me. I think I might have to pack it in and quit, like he's looking at jobs. What am I going to do? I've got a kid on the way. Yeah. Fucking hell. So scary to think that. Yeah. So, oh, God, wrestling would be a very different place if he had just decided to pack it in there. Yeah. But I mean, the benefits for him, though, is the fact that by being in PWG at the time and getting to work with the likes of the Young Bucks, he had a lot of fun with the Young Bucks as part of a tag team they called uh, a group called Mount Rushmore. Where they would, you know, dress, you know, silly like tassel-covered singlets together, matching gear and all that. And he used to use that time to have a lot of fun. But at that time, even though he was being very creative and it was creatively fulfilling, money-wise, he was making fuck all. They did bring him back to Ring of Honor. It one of my favorite storylines of all time. It was absolutely awesome. It'd been like seven or eight months he'd been gone, and all the scummy you know, heels who he used to hang around with, like Steve Carino and Jimmy Jacobs, they were doing the storyline on TV where it was like the 12-step program. They come in and say, I'm Steve Carino and I'm an evil man and I've done all these bad things and I have to make amends and admit that there's a higher wrestling power that I can, uh, you know, surrender myself to and I can become a good person again. They'd wear, like, nice suits and stuff to try and get rid of their <laughs> shitty image. And they would start pitching then to Jim Cornette in storyline, like, hey, we've got a friend he really wants to come back and make amends for what he's done. And it was, you know, Kevin Steen. And they did this big thing live on pay-per-view where Kevin Steen comes through the crowd. And in the documentary, Jimmy Jacobs and Steve Carino, they said that was the moment they knew that he was just, like, he was bigger than the company. Because he walks through, you know, like Sandman at One Night Stand, he walks through the Hammerstein Ballroom and people are, like, fucking desperate to get their hands on him like a total superstar. Mm. And he comes in, you think he's going to say that he's an evil man, but instead he says, hello, my name's Kevin Steen. And fuck Ring of Honor! And Jim Cornette is like, God damn it! And every all the security bring him away, and he's given the finger, being dragged kicking and screaming away. And he'd come back for a, a bit of a run, but like it was very much a real-life Stone Cold Steve Austin situation, in that you had a real-life authority figure who hated that his top guy was someone who didn't fit his mould and was kind of actively working against it even though he knew he had to put him in the top matches and all. Like, it was real-life Austin McMahon. (laughs) 
Jim Cornette, you helped write that storyline. Didn't you think something was wrong when you're there, red face going, God damn it, the guy I legitimately hate is upstaged me and I legitimately hate him, but in kayfabe, but also kind of real. That must be exhausting. Do you think Jim Cornette realizes that he is like a real life heel? I don't know. I really don't. Because like, like, I look back at some times in my life when I've been a horrible piece of shit and I think, yeah, that was nasty heel Joe and I've come a long way since then. You know, I have to yeah. prove myself as a face each and every single day. And I just don't know if Jim Cornette <laughs> could even look back and recognise that what he did there was incredibly shitty. I mean, it was really shitty what he did. I'm not going to lie. It made for absolutely compelling television do you think he's just going to justify it to himself then because of that and almost rewrite it in his mind like oh i'm a mastermind of wrestling booking i mean he's flip-flop back and forth and i mean i've heard videos of him saying like if it wasn't for me motivating him he would like he says look at him now in wwe when he got signed he says look he's in great shape like and he never would do that for me i was always on saying mm, drop I some weight get that, in good shape i wonder if that might have something to do with the fact that he has like some of the best trainers in the world yeah. the best gym possibly in the whole world like a immense support system i guess jim's idea was to give him a lot of free time and give him a year off or whatever it was shit. nice way they put over how over kevin owens was at the time which was kevin could have burnt down a house full of poppies and still <laughs> Kevin could have burnt down a house full of puppies and still been over with the Ring of Honor crowd. It was proper, like, stone cold. Really, really great. <laughs> and he ended up winning the World Championship. But, again, it was... like he, His words were, they had no choice. Like, if they didn't give me the championship, it would have been detrimental to the company. Yeah. But the guy who won the belt off, like, he won the belt off of was a guy called Davey Richards. And Davey Richards is the epitome of, like, Jim Cornette's type of guy. MMA background... Also a trained ambulance operator. He is like, he thinks wrestling's kind of, I'm not saying he's real, but he takes it so seriously. Wow, that sounds like a fun guy. Yeah, like... No, it, I, sound, I can't wait to be a fan of this wrestling man. Kind of people like Kyle O'Reilly would have been in his circle. Like, right. kind of real, like, had legitimate combat sports and martial arts training. Yeah, real but, fun. You know, he had, like, wrestling camps and stuff and training camps, all that type of stuff. I remember, like, reading in an interview with the two of them, they had a lot of bad blood at the time because like, he literally said to Kevin Owens, he's like... I don't feel I should lose the championship to you. You're Why? Because I look at me, I'm a proper athlete, Fuck I'm off. trained. This and is wrestling. <laughs> Fuck off. Fuck off. They became also, friends after, but Fuck off. But but as well as fuck off <laughs> Like, do they have any idea what weight actually is? Like, it doesn't make you weak. No. If Everything anything, makes it a could, great story, yeah. It give you an advantage. Like, oh, I just hate that. Like, oh, it's the same shitty nonsense that I think comes from this whole idea of, like, that women are, like, weaker than men yeah. inherently and yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. same kind of thing. Like, it's just a stupid bias based on absolutely nothing. No scientific fact whatsoever. Just your own prejudice. And if you're, like, so into the idea of wrestling seeming real and legitimate, which Davey Richards, a lot of the people at Ring of Honor, like, they thought that Ring of Honor was meant to be not like ECW. It was meant to be the antidote to that. Not about garbage wrestling and hardcore stuff and guys in shirts and, and shorts or whatever. It's meant to be more about real athletes. And it's like, okay, I get that. I understand that. But what good are you doing that idea of wrestling when you're wrestling matches against someone like Kevin Steen and I look at you and I can literally see from the way you're wrestling that you don't want to do it. And that there were a lot of matches like that at the time where it's people in the ring with him who are kind of feel like, I don't like that I have to sell for this guy. I don't think his stuff is real. I don't think I should be putting him over. And that's just like... Seems to be like a lot of these wrestlers should spend some time in Japan studying the art of sumo. 
Yeah, seriously. I mean... <laughs> like, you really want to go there? Imply that weight makes you, what, less athletic? I, like, I think it's not just the weight. I think the, it's the weight and the fact that if you're going to come out and wrestle in a t-shirt and basketball shorts, you're it's not a serious athlete. It's a great athlete. look. What the fuck is their problem? What was he wearing? Like, tiny black pants? Just, like, regular wrestling tights. Kind that's of blue amateur. Tights, that you know? isn't wrestling. Right, that's the thing that gets me so angry, is that these types of people who take wrestling so seriously, they miss the point of wrestling mm. itself. Yeah, they work themselves into a shoot. I think there's like, there's a healthy middle ground, I think. I think that's what was happening at the time was that wrestling was kind of like battling with itself and being like, we want to we wanna move away, understandably, from some of the dodgy stuff of the late 90s and that kind of anyone, you know, the, the backyard wrestling kind of look. But Kevin Owens, like, he didn't fall into that category. No. You were trying very hard to push him into that category, but he simply was not that guy, you no. know? He was simply too talented to be that guy <laughs> and he won the title and it's really sad this is one of the most heartbreaking stories i've heard about kevin he wins the championship and he said the night wasn't special for him because it was a big night for his friend sammy zane do you want to tell the story of what happens mm, it's really sad so kevin at this point he's still got two years left on his Ring of Honor contract or thereabouts. And he's been made the champion, so it's like, you're, you're locked in there. Yeah, son, like. here you are. This is your home for a good solid couple of years now, mate. And meanwhile, Sammy gets given the opportunity of his whole career and he gets given a contract signing for WWE. And Sammy, you know, he's been best friends with Kevin now since they were, what, 15, 16 years yeah, old? They've they... been wrestling together since, like, the very beginning. Yeah, since the start, pretty much, yeah. They've come such a long way together, you know, both as real-life best friends, but also as wrestling characters. You know, the characters themselves have feuded and tagged along the way. So, in Sammy's mind, you know, they come as a team. Yeah. And so he, understandably, to an extent, Brings his WWE contract to sign in front of Kevin. Which this is such a fucking Sami Zayn thing. It's so do. sad because on the one hand, you can see it from Sami's perspective of like, you know, so I don't think Sami would ever feel jealous of anything that Kevin achieves because no. I think in Sami's mind, Kevin Owens is the best wrestler in the world. Yeah. And you can just imagine their best friendship from when they were 16 and probably Sammy looked up from him always you can just imagine that you know he's this cool guy yeah who does 450 splashes like they definitely have a joint kind of, like they view their careers as being intertwined together. yeah yeah so you can see kind of why he might think this is a special moment for the both of them but this is Kevin Owens he's dealing with Kevin Owens who's so goal oriented who gets bored so easily who always wants the best best thing the biggest opportunities I think he's probably one of the most ambitious wrestlers absolutely like, there yeah. is yeah. 100% I can't think of anyone except perhaps like John Cena yeah and even then John Cena didn't have to work his way up the way Kevin Owens did he had much less to prove and people yeah. to prove wrong yeah <laughs> Kevin Owens and, yeah, has had a much harder time of it so for Kevin that's just like a kick in the teeth like that's his best friend you know I don't want to say that Kevin Owens thinks he's better than Sami Zayn but he might do and even if he doesn't, it's a really hard thing, I think, from his perspective to watch his best friend get signed before him and know that he's at least two years behind. And not just getting signed. This is like, he signed the contract, like, right in front of him. Yeah. Like, it's like, here it is. Like a celebratory, you know, in Sammy's mind, it was like, yeah, let's celebrate together. This is a great thing for both of us. I'm sure to Sammy, he thought, yeah, I'm sure Kevin will come up in no time. But this is, of course, at the point where Kevin is 
pretty much given up on the WWE dream and he's signed with Ring of Honor again so I think he reckons I'll make a, a living here at least yeah. for the family and that's it. So Sammy's been signed to WWE in a developmental deal and Kevin Steen is still Ring of Honor making his way through and kind of in many ways counting down the days until his contract is over. This is a match which was heavily requested. Many people say this is the first time they saw either man and thought this was a really great showcase for both. It's from Ring of Honor War of Worlds in 2014, and it's Kevin Steen versus our boy, the King of Strong Style, Shinsuke Nakamura. Woo! It's so weird that these two fought. I know, right? Before either of them were signed. I love seeing pre-WWE Shinsuke Nakamura so we can hear his persona-ass music. It's great, but very weird, because to me, Shinsuke Nakamura, like now is his music like you cannot hear that music and not think shinsuke and like this is so intertwined with each other Mm. but i do i love his persona music it's (laughs) very very cool would shinsuke be one of the protagonists in persona or one of the baddies who'd have a shadow form you have to fight later no he's too cool to be a baddie all the baddies are really boring yeah he would be one of the cool side characters that you only unlock in like the last quarter or third of the Ah. game um kind of one of the cool kids that hangs out near the vending machine or something and he has like a special power that's really helpful. Shinsuke Nakamura requires a second playthrough to really get to the bottom of that character, folks, is what we're saying here. Now, I wanted to touch on this. This is one of the favourite things about Kevin Steen at the time was his t-shirt, which says, Kill Steen Kill. He, at the time, would always parody John Cena's t-shirts and then just put over... You know, it was fight, steed, fight, and then when he became evil, super mega heel, it became kill, steed, kill. And instead of hustle, loyalty, respect, it was violence, brutality, destruction. Wow. <laughs> nice. It was so perfect because, you know, this was the time it was peak Cena malaise when he would have been on his way up in Ring of Honor. And anyone who's watching Ring of Honor was thinking that John Cena was cancer and the WWE was not their brand. And it's fun to think that Cena and... Kevin Owens get on quite well right now. Oh yeah, I yeah. have I have a theory that Kevin Owens is John Cena's favorite wrestler. Oh yeah, that's I my mean, that's my theory. Yeah, I would not be surprised because he was like such a cool favorite at the time. I remember at the time he he'd always change his Twitter handle to whatever it was. You know, the the T shirt at the time, Killstein Killer, whatever it would be. And then, uh, you know, he'd have random people start tweeting him. Like, The Rock, I remember, once tweeted him out of the blue. It was, like, the first big high-profile interaction on Twitter, I remember. It was The Rock telling Kevin Owens, what you're doing is fantastic. Keep it up. It's amazing. And then, like, Steve Austin tweeted him a few times. Q's story for around this time was that Austin really wanted Kevin Owens to kind of get a look in. You know, he really thought he was going to help put him on a pedestal because he thought he was kick-ass. And he brought him on to his podcast. You know, this is not the network podcast. It was his, his Audrey audio podcast. And he didn't really know who, who Kevin Steen was. And he thought he just, hey, goddamn kid, I got Kevin Steen on here. Got to put him over. Got to go into YouTube and, and put his name in. And Kevin Steen is there trying really hard to put himself over. And, and Steve's like, yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Hey, have you seen that video? The top 100 moves of Kevin Steen. We got a what we got there? Spin leg drop. You're doing rolled Santon. Hot damn kid, that's a 450 splash. You're doing the Stone Coast. You see, this goes in this video, and Kevin seems oh, like, no. yeah. And uh, let me talk to you about the things I'm doing in Ring of. <laughs> 
Steve Austin, the guy who gave him the best advice of keep talking trash, yeah. and he wants to just cover a play-by-play of all the cool moves he's done. Like, Chris. yes, he's done a lot of cool moves. This is Stone Cold Steve Austin and Kevin Steen. Don't forget Steve Austin's advice to himself before every podcast. Keep talking, even if it means talking over everybody else, even if they're your special guest. You see, to Stone Cold, keep talking trash just means just talk, no matter, <laughs> even if it's trash. <laughs> I love seeing Kevin Steen here. Slightly younger, fresh-faced, still very much the polished product that we know and love today. Him and Shinsuke in the ring, like people are chatting, this is awesome before the match even begins. And they start like trading strikes and have that kind of, all right, friend, you hit hard, but I also hit hard. And they kind of keep hitting each other harder and harder. I couldn't believe that Kevin Owens is only 5'11". Yeah, right? That really surprised me. I thought he'd be like six foot or something. I think because he is kind of like a broad, beefy fellow. Like, I think big arms, big shoulders. The way he carries himself, because mm. because of that confidence, I think he just seems a lot taller. Like me. Everyone yeah. always thinks I'm really tall. I'm not. I'm tiny. And you associate with tall people. You'd think that would go against it, really. <laughs> no, but I think people just kind of lump you into that kind of group of, ah, tall podcasters. Adam <laughs> Bibelow, Sam Chaplin, Kevin Mann, and Joe Graham. Yeah, they're part of that tall <laughs> podcasting gang. Yeah, I'm easily 6'3". <laughs> I love when Shinsuke at the start, he does his good vibrations in the corner. Yes. Which is, he, he does all the shaking. Kevin and, asks if he's having a seizure. What's wrong with you? Breathe. <laughs> Calm down. And then he does his own version. So bad vibrations, which is basically just if Mike Love sang the song on his own without asking any of the other Beach Boys to get in on the fun or the royalties. <laughs> I've decided this match, Joe, is chaotic good versus chaotic evil. Let's pull Ooh. out the... Uh, the wrestling alignment chart. Do you think Kevin Steen falls into the chaotic evil category? Absolutely, yeah, it's very accurate. We got some fucking hard hitting sweet spots in this match. I love that they've got the twenty count because they're doing a New Japan crossover. So he hits that horrible apron power bomb onto the hardest part of the ring, and we get to the nineteen count. Very, very good. He does the cannonball into the corner, which is. A move that apparently got him signed. Mm. When he was doing his tryout, that cannonball apparently was the damnedest thing they'd ever seen. And I was like, wow, look at that. And you thought it was no big deal. Well, no, not that I don't think it's no big deal. I I love the cannonball. I think it's a great move because it's very safe. And I think in theory, if songs get your timing right, I don't see that it would be difficult to do. Yeah. Like, and it looks really scary though. It looks like you might land on your head or your neck, but it's essentially a forward roll. Yeah. Which I think, honestly, I, I like it more for the fact that it's a simple, quite safe move. I, I'm, I've said it before, I'll say it a million times. I, I think safety and things that look scarier than they actually are is what makes wrestling great. MVP of 2018, still the air cushion underneath the table yeah. during Hand the Cells. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> do you think you're confident you could do the cannonball then if you're saying it's just a forward roll? I think I could actually. Yeah. I'm not saying I could do it very well. Yeah. I think the timing would be an issue because like, it's the space. You've mm. got to make sure that you roll, but you finish the roll with your legs landing on your butt and your legs landing on your opponent. So you don't accidentally kill your opponent with velocity as well. Yeah, yeah I think I'd accidentally like, kick my opponent in the eye or something. Mm. But like, yeah, essentially like, you, you, it would be difficult to do that move badly and really injure someone <laughs> yes i think i must have seen someone in like in a, in a botchamania or something back in the day someone do like a dangerous version of it, and that's why i'm kind of like it's, it's a scary <laughs> move good job we get to see some more of the top 100 moves of kevin seen here as he does not the pop-up power bomb but a pop-up sit and power bomb 
fucking beautiful. And the finish of this match is one of my all-time faves. This is how you get a finisher over and someone over who's losing the match at the same time. Shinsuke hits the bombing a knee, the Kinshasa. He fucking waffles him with it. And he kicks out at one and stands up like, like nothing can stop him. And then he immediately hits another bombing a knee straight away and gets the three count. I love that so much. Like, there's oftentimes on the indies, someone will kick out a one to be like a big, like, fuck, you know, throw the fans' expectations out. Mm. But I like as well that, you know, in wrestling, I think one of the first things you asked me when someone kicked out of their finisher was, why did you just do another one? Yeah. You know? well, that's what Goldberg does. <laughs> it's true. I mean, Shinsuke doing the Goldberg approach yeah. in this match. Honestly, with the, the three count kicking out at one thing, that still doesn't mean anything to me. As, yeah. a, as a newer fan, Especially when it's like someone doing their finisher and then kicking out of one, because I still don't know whose finishes are whose. So I, as far as I'm concerned, it's like, oh, he did a move and then he kicked out of one, which happens a lot in wrestling. You know, if they hold up three fingers to the referee and shake their head, that's how you know it was a proper two count. Yeah, like. but William Regal hates that. <laughs> that's your new vindication. If he thinks something, it's 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 accepted it's canon. Law. It's good. It's law. It's mm. law and lore. Yeah. It's the lore. It reminds me of my old roommate back in school who I tried to get interesting. He said, God, you know, come on, how about some variation? They're always kicking out at two. How about something else? And like, what, what, like one? Yeah. Or zero, you know? <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of this match? I loved this match. It was so, so fun. It's great seeing Shinsuke and Kevin before they were signed to WWE. Mm. You kind of get to really see both of them trying really hard, which is nice because like, I think especially with Shinsuke, with where he is at WWE at the moment, some of his matches are a bit hit and miss. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely slowed down a lot. Yeah. Four years have elapsed since this match have not been kind to Shinsuke's knees. But if you're a fan of Shinsuke Nakamura and you're a fan of Kevin Owens, this is a must-watch match. It's so, so good. I gave it four stars out of five. Oh, nice. I think, yeah, this match is one of the most illustrative matches of both men. If you've never seen Kevin Steen or Kevin Owens, this is a great place to start. Yeah. And if you've never seen Shinsuke, well, double duty, there you go. They're both in there, and it's a perfect... It's great. It's a showcase for both guys. I really liked it. Sammy and pretty much everyone in the interview in this documentary, truthfully comes out and they say, thought he'd never get signed. Seth Rollins, he's like... Like in a million years, I never thought he'd get signed. Adrian Neville, Neville, yeah. Like Jimmy Jacobs, Sami Zayn, like even the trainers are they're talking to you are like, no, we didn't think he'd he'd get signed. It's so sad, and literally the reason they give is, oh, we don't think that Vince would like your look. Yeah, that was it. Based on look alone, that was they were all kind of such a vague. But they all had this thing in their head, which was like. We know you should be, but we understand because of the way things work that you won't be. Like, you won't be signed. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's based on luck alone. Not because of ability, not sure. because of what you can uh-huh. do, because of luck. And it's like, at that point, it's, you know, God, 15 years since Mick Foley was signed. Yeah. And like, oh, how many people need to prove you wrong before you kind of shake this off? Regal and Triple H both come in and say that he was known to them. He was on their radar the whole time. And there's a famous story that William Regal went out to a PWG show and to scout. And this is when you know, NXT had just started. The brand was getting hot. You had you know, Neville in there and Sammy in there. And they were using it to kind of reinvigorate their kind of training program. They just opened the Performance Center. I think the idea was they knew it was a growing brand. And they wanted to get some big names for it. Now, everyone always puts, you know, it's William Regal. Like, of course, William Regal would go and scout PWG because he's like... William Regal. William Regal. He knows what a great wrestler is. And, of course, William Regal would know 
that Kevin Owens is a kick-ass wrestler. And I love the Triple H in this documentary. He's like, oh, he's no, not in on. it at all <laughs> up until this one point. And then it's suddenly, and then I came and saved the day. Yeah, he's like, who do you think told William Regal to go there? It was me. I, I'm the guy who broke down all the barriers. I'm the guy who thought that Kevin Owens was cool. No one else. And I love that it was him and Johnny Gargano. And we saw some clips from the match. And it's like, he goes to Johnny Gargano. It's like, William Regal is here. We need to, like, we're wrestling for one guy. And the yeah. match is fucking insane. Because I think Johnny Gargano got himself on the radar as well in this yeah. match by doing it. And, yeah, PWG very much is an ideal place to put on a showcase for people like Regal or whatever. Because mm. you can show them with a small crowd that you can make it feel like it's a big, crazy main event at WrestleMania mm-hmm. in that small, small room. So, it wasn't long after this that it came time for Kevin Owens to get a tryout in WWE off the back of his standout performance in PWG with Johnny Gargano as witnessed by William Regal. He was invited down to the newly minted Performance Center in Orlando to have a bit of a tryout with a whole bunch of other prospects, some indie wrestlers, some top athletes, some models, some people they reckon would be a good fit. And... The best thing about this documentary and something that makes me so excited about WWE's very big brother approach to fucking filming everything now is that you get to see Kevin Owens try out the drills he ran in the Performance Center. Mm-hmm. Do you know the Triple H has got in his office in Stamford, Connecticut, in his main office, he's got a live video feed of all the different, like of the rings. Really? In the port- you can look and see what's going on here, audio of everything at all times, which is a little creepy. Basically means that no one's ever had sex in the Performance Center rings. Yeah. Or if they have, Triple H has definitely watched. Oh. But it's really great that we get to see Kevin Steen be in NXT at his tryout. He's so nervous. Oh my God. He talks about having to run the drills. And that was the thing that's you know hardest about these trials is that you know, we watched Breaking Ground on the network. Really, really strong recommendation to check out that show just to see what it's like to be in that center and to the training regime. And when they get you in for a tryout, it's like 100 jumping jacks, 100 push-ups, run the ring ropes, you know, 400 times or whatever it is. And it looks exhausting what he's doing. Yeah, he does. He looks properly exhausted. He tells a really, like, sad story of how overwhelmed he gets doing all these drills. Like, you see the footage of him, he's doing, like, he's run the ropes and he has to, like, jump over these sandbags and, like, you know, leapfrogs and all this stuff. And then he's like, and then I had to go to the bathroom and I just, like, I thought he was going to say, I'm going to get sick. Yeah. You know, like Louis Theroux when he did wrestling training. But no, he's went in, he's burst into tears. So sad. Like, apparently he full on, like, just sobbed. Ah, because he's thinking, you know, when you get that exhausted and that much anxiety and pressure, like... Even if you're not an anxious person, when you're put under a lot of stress and a lot of strain, your body will physically just, you know, it will be anxious on your behalf. Even if you're mentally not there thinking, I got this, your body will start shivering and you'll maybe start crying or become very emotional and have a breakdown. And then he has to come out and they're like, right, time to cut a promo then. (laughs) Oh my God. Like, I love a good Kevin Steener, Kevin Owens promo. Don't get me wrong. He is one of the best ever. He can make you laugh. He can make you scared. He can make you, you know, on edge. He can engage you. He can put someone over. But they literally handed him a microphone after he's just had a bit of a cry in the bathroom. And he's had to have all this on his shoulders. And this promo he cuts basically gets him the job, I think. Yeah, he says immediately after he finished talking, he knew he was hired. He just cuts a promo basically about 
about him and Sammy and says, you know, we've been working together for years and then I had to watch him get signed to WWE before me. The ink dried on the contract just as I was, you know, looking at him. It's like you can just see the, the storyline, the video package. He's literally telling them, you know, here's your next three months of TV. Yeah, so clever. So clever. It gets over his character, shows he has a history with someone they've already signed. Yeah. Shows he understands what makes a good wrestling angle. Oh, oh, it's just incredible. He just pulls it all out of his ass, Just like, just such natural like ability. So few people can do what he did. Many people may not know this, but one of Joe Graham's ultimate hidden talents is that you are absolutely incredible at job interviews and mm. job interview preparation for other people. So obviously Kevin Owens here, this is the ultimate job interview, right? <laughs> I mean, he's hitting all the things in the end. He engaged everyone. He looked at everyone in the eye. Mm-hmm. He had a plan in place for if he was to, to come in and get the position. You know, he let him know his strengths very, very good. You know, <laughs> it was a very impressive interview. Yeah. I would say as well, the line that really stuck with me, and I just know what it is about it. Like, I've been thinking, of it, since we saw the documentary, I've been thinking about this promo like every day since. He's talking about, you know, Sammy and him signing the contract. And he said, you might think the reason I want to be here is to be a good family man or to be successful or to be better than my friend. He goes, no, the number one reason I'm here deep down. And he's just screams, it's because I'm jealous. So good. Oh, I got like goosebumps. Right here, baby. Boom. Right on the podcast. Because, yeah, that's such a a human emotion. Like, so much of wrestling is all about, like, yeah, I want this title. I can't relate to that. Jealousy? Mm. We all can relate to that. Like, that is such a raw honest why does no one say it then why does no one ever say yeah. i'm jealous no one ever says it in wrestling i don't know but that has stuck with me so much yeah and like that was the whole like video packages they were running with him building up it was like sammy Zayn was one of my best friends but they signed him first brian danielson was one of my closest friends but they signed him and it's just like the idea that i was passed over for fucking years you know without saying i had to fucking be in this company ring of honor i didn't want to be in Mm -hmm. you know oh what a powerful real storyline and like you don't have to be a wrestling fan to understand someone's frustrations at seeing friends get passed over yeah and someone getting a job before you oh it's the fucking worst so the next time you think about doing that passive aggressive facebook post (laughs) just pop down to the performance center and cut Cut the promo yeah of your goddamn life (laughs) So the sad thing is, though, even though he knew he was hired from that promo alone, he was told immediately by everyone. This is William Regal, Triple H, loads of friends he knew who had already been signed. Pretty much everyone except for Sami Zayn said, tamper your expectations. Do not expect to be signed to any of the main shows. We will not see you on SmackDown. We will not see you on Raw. You will never be on a pay-per-view. Do not expect any of these things because Vince McMahon doesn't like how you look. It's so strange to think It's so strange. And also, I hate that they won't just be honest and just fucking come out with it. Say you don't like that he's fat. I mean, yeah, they they did. The closest they came was they specifically said, Vince probably won't like you. Yeah. And it's kind of like, this is when Triple H had gotten the bit of power to, to run things in NXT, the developmental brand, and he could steer the ship. But, like, everyone else, like, literally everyone they interview, and Vince is notably absent for this yeah. whole documentary, <laughs> everyone says, oh, we all thought he was great. We thought he could be, like, a massive star, but we know the head of the company won't like this. We won't like you. I actually looked up recently. He is, has one of the all-time highest number of pay-per-view matches in the last <laughs> three years. 
is spite is a very powerful motivator. I just I find that so interesting because you know one of our first episodes we did when he got signed around the time would have been Samoa Joe. Yeah, and when he was signed to NXT, he got something similar, but it was you're not going to be on the main roster. But we know to try and convince you still to come here, they gave him this absurd sweetheart deal. It was like, you know, you can make your own kind of bookings, you get all your own merch, you get to keep your own uh, trademarks and copyrights, because obviously you're not going to make it onto the main show. (laughs) It's just for NXT. He wants to keep his name. Come on, that's so fucking good. So yeah, Kevin owns the fact that they were thinking he was just going to be an NXT thing. And I can't think of anyone who got signed to NXT who was like pretty much, other than maybe Apollo Crews, who was kind of like, you know, he could have been there for another year, but like, no, fuck, get him on the main roster now. No, 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 He's too good. And like the moment he was signed to NXT as well, you can tell that everyone he worked with could see the potential in him. Like he is pushed as a top star from day negative 30 like before (laughs) he was even signed but when they were doing all the promotional videos and stuff they made him out to look like a goddamn oh my god such a star i love for his promo packages they did he actually had to make his own t-shirt because all of his stuff had steen and what on it so he literally went out and got duct tape and made a ko (laughs) on his original thing and i'd think how many shirts he's got he's got like 50 fucking shirts on shop zone or whatever it is now it's so funny i wonder how many of the original ko duct tape design he sold (laughs) as well because i'm willing to bet it's it's a lot So his debut, he debuted on NXT TakeOver, as we mentioned, the night that Sami Zayn finally won the big one. And you just had the emotion of, you know, Kevin Owens coming out, winning his big debut. It was against CJ Parker, the he was the hippie at the time. He's now Juice Robinson. And people immediately took him as being this next level superstar. He just, you can tell. Mm. Literally, watch that episode of NXT where he comes out and you can see it. From day one, he he knows he's a star. He knows exactly what he's going for. You can see the WrestleMania sign and him pointing at it in his own eyes. (laughs) But he's still a super fan because he's telling them, like, he's coming out for the show. And he's like, you know, and then I hear the dun, dun, dun. And I get all, like, really anxious and, like, excited. Because you see all those flashes. and then, The promo package they always play at the beginning of like every episode. And then it's you know, Bret Hart, Steve Austin, you know Hogan and Warrior and Cena. And then he is the next face that shows mm-hmm. up at the start of the show. It's a pretty cool feeling. Because you got to feel that when he was booking those wrestling toys as a kid. That he probably had a few ideas in his own head of how he'd be making his debut. Quite a way to do it. They start and end that episode of NXT with Kevin Owens. Yeah, it's really, really great. And... You know, it ends with, you know, Sammy winning the championship and him immediately betraying him. I remember being such a shock at the time that we actually had to go back because we were really, really shocked. Um, you know, the, the celebration and the, the love in the ring went on so long. You know, tears in each other's eyes, hugging each other, patting on the back and thinking, well, there's no way he's going to betray him. It was right, almost like, you're almost turning off the TV at this point. Like, episode the, Yeah, that's it. End of TakeOver. And so then here- if they were going to do anything, they'd have done it already. They're walking away now. Come on. Episodes, it's like two seconds left of the episode. And then he does it. Yeah, he fucking smashes Sammy. He does that apron powerbomb where Sammy like shakes his head around loads, making it like his brain's been rattled. And Sammy's special night. Like, if you remember Sammy when he won the championship, it was basically three months of him being like, I'm injured because of Kevin Owens. Yep. It was really, really, really well done because Sammy did get legitimately injured 
this is around the time when, you know, Cena had his open challenge. We talked about this on our Haiti Sami Zayn episode and he injured his shoulder. And it was really like, could have been really, really shit for both of them that you're bringing in Kevin Owens. The idea is that, well, the natural feud is with Sammy, and he almost gets injured pretty much straight away. Yeah. So they give uh, Kevin Owens the NXT Championship pretty much within a month, as far as I remember. Like, he was pretty much, he got it straight away. And it's, again, it's a thing that happens quite often in his career that he's put right on the top straight away. And again, for being someone who's goal-oriented, it's like he hits, signed to WWE, main event a WWE show, and win a WWE championship all within a month. Mm. It's hard to be goal-oriented when your natural goals come so quickly. Yeah, like, honestly, uh, I'm just going to say this is like a human resources type angle now, but, like, Triple H and William Regal and all the people who were responsible for the angles and the motivation of Kevin Owens really could have done a bit of a better job about that. Because yeah. <laughs> you don't... Yeah, someone like Kevin Owens... You don't get the best out of them if you just give them everything that they're aiming for right away. Mm. Because that's just setting them up for failure in their mind. Yeah. I guess maybe it was their way of really showing, and I think Triple H particularly of showing, the booking philosophy here is different to the booking philosophy on the main show. Yeah. And that's, I think, one of the things that made NXT such a hot show quite quickly was that it's like, hey, it's all the production values and all the the high-end stuff like, you know, good lighting, good camera work, good commentary, question mark, of the main shows that you're expecting, except we're not having those old-time frustrating booking ideas and ideas of what makes a star we're more open-minded mm-hmm. i think a lot of that is attributed to kevin owens being pushed quite quickly yeah and it's it's obviously selfishly it's great for me as a fan yeah <laughs> but for kevin owens mental health mm. yeah I, I don't know he does have a lot of ups and downs as a result of it i think he's talks about how he went to wrestlemania 30 as a fan and you get to see him in the crowd you know, they have a footage of him, like the, the camera growing up through the aisle, and you see him there looking, quite frankly, mortified. Yeah. Nope, don't don't stop on me. I'm you know, no one. Nope, I wasn't here. We got a lot of, actually, of tweets in of people going, here, here's Kevin Owens at ECW, this show. Yeah. yeah, he's at ECW One Night Stand. I think he's at, like, WrestleMania 19. You can see him. He's wearing a big, evil Undertaker shirt. He's, he's, <laughs> fucking, he's a big fan, like, you know. But he said to himself... WrestleMania 30 would be the last time he went as a fan. And then the following year, he's the NXT champion. And you see him being walked around backstage and all the all the big top legends who know that he's meant to be the next top guy going up and pretending they know who he is. Hulk Hogan with his lash, obvious lash lift. You tell me Hogan's went for a lash lift? Yeah, it's, he's got very curled eyelashes. And I can't imagine Hulk Hogan goes to the time of curling his eyelashes every day. I reckon he's just had a lash lift. Do you think he's had a lash tint? I don't know about the tent, but he's definitely had a lash lift. Well, let me tell you something, brother. Hulk Hogan, brother, with the most kawaii eyes in our whole wrestling, brother. He hasn't got the 24-inch pythons anymore. No. But he's, so he's going for the kawaii eyes. <laughs> so it's Hulk Hogan. Nice try, Hogan. You have not got kind eyes. <laughs> no, he's got racist eyes. And Hulk Hogan pretends he knows who the hell Kevin Owens is. In fairness, he does a much better job than The Rock does. Which is weird because like everyone says The Rock was a genuine Kevin Owens fan. But you would not guess it from him meeting Kevin Owens backstage. He's like, uh, well done. Uh, uh, yeah, you're a, you're a wrestler, right? Yeah. <laughs> really cool. Yeah, I love, you. I love your match that you did. Is it this, he calls him a good dude mm. four times. He's like, yeah. this is a good dude right here. He's a great dude. And all the dudes have been saying to me, dude, 
What a great... I mean, you Rock, you're not meant to be Hulk Hogan. You're reading his verbiage now. Hogan does such a good job at pretending he knows who someone is. He's yeah, like, I was actually convinced for a split second that Hulk Hogan watched NXT. Yeah, he was like... Uh, yeah, he was like, I was watching NXT. I'm, uh, I turned to my wife, brother, and I said, that, that man right there... It's one of the brothers who's keeping the art form alive. Like, you <laughs> motherfucker. Lying piece of shit. Another great job interview. <laughs> Copy Hulk Hogan here. But yeah, when The Rock was so nervous around Kevin Owens, and he's like, oh, this guy here. Oh, they call him, they call him Kevin. Uh, that's what they call him. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, this is coming now, right? If you're not, Listen to my. I do a podcast called the ITR Podcast, where for around a year and a half, all I did was get sick of The Rock and think that he's the worst person ever. <laughs> so this is not coming from an unbiased standpoint, but I'm going to say it right here now. I'm going to call my shot, Maggle in Wrigley Field. Uh, the Rock's social media team reached out to Kevin Owens, yeah, because he knew or they knew how cool it would look that The Rock, what The Rock, who's wrestling, who's wrestling at WrestleMania 28, how cool it is that he's reaching out to the indie guy like Kevin Steen. So that's what I think happens. I'm yeah, 100 percent sure because if Kevin, because if The Rock had actually seen any Kevin Owens match like ever at all, he would have definitely mentioned the similarities between them talking smack all the time. The obvious similarities. Come on, yeah. Like that would obviously be the first thing you say. That's what John <laughs> Cena said. Yeah. And John Cena's obviously a mega fan. Oh man, John Cena. This is great, right? John Cena and this match we're going to talk about now, by far the most request match for this episode. We're talking about John Cena versus a debuting on the main roster, Kevin Owens, at Elimination Chamber 2015. John Cena, as well as being a big fan, went to bat for Kevin Owens considerably, apparently. Yeah, he he basically went to, to Vince, by the sounds of things, and said, I want to fight Kevin Owens. Which, again, it feeds into my theory that he's a massive Kevin Owens fan. I really think he's been following his career a lot longer than we'd guess. There is a period of time which lasted around 10 years and ended around this time that was John Cena does the same old moves all the time. He's never going to change his move style. Five moves of doom, okay? John Cena will never put over someone younger than him. And John Cena won't really put over anyone full stop. And also John Cena has predictable, boring matches and that John Cena wins a lot. We also, talk, yeah. John Cena is cheesy. Yes, very cheesy. And you don't get that kind of a, that legitimate kind of, oh, these two are going to fucking go at it. Like he, you know? When we did our episode on John Cena, we said he barely seemed human. Yeah, it's true. Kevin Owens is the total antidote to every single flaw that John Cena had at the time. He's got a unique look. He doesn't look like a boring wrestler like John Cena does. He talks smack all the time and it's like based on real human emotions to show that he is a real human, yeah. not a robot grown in Vince's lab on the ground. <laughs> He has a million different moves and he does them all perfectly. He, Yeah, he's just like everything that John Cena wasn't. If John Cena's cancer, then Kevin Owens is chemotherapy. And uh, I'm just going at the mindset of the horrible fans of the time. <laughs> but John and Triple H were apparently the two names that went to Vince and said... This is the guy, and they showed. He saw the stuff from NXT, and apparently, he, he bought that. I think it was. He said that his authenticity was what Vince saw. That he he was legitimate. Like the character wasn't a put on. No, it wasn't like he was pretending to be this tough guy. Which, by the way, Vince ties into his look that you apparently hate. It's his look that helps make him authentic. Yeah. So I think yeah. they won over Vince, but I do have to think with with Kevin Owens, particularly watching that three six five where. You know, 
and this is what a lot of wrestlers, you know, we, we said the other day, uh, what, was, what was it? We were watching The Office and someone accidentally called Robert For- Robert California dad. Oh, yeah. And I was telling, turned to you and I said, God, how many wrestlers have accidentally called Vince McMahon dad over the years? Yeah, you said that you reckon Kurt Angle definitely has. Yeah, absolutely. And the way that Vince reacts with so many of the wrestlers, Kevin Owens included, is very much like the distant father type of a relationship. Mm. And you know like how one word from this man can completely crush you. And in yep. Kevin Owens' case, it has several times. So even though Vince is on board with, with Kevin Owens, I think for the most part, it's still like nothing's taken for granted. Like You have to prove that to him kind of every night. It's not like you're a Triple H or a Shawn Michaels or a Steve Austin where Vince... You know, you've nothing to prove to him. You go out there and he knows that it's going to be great. I think Kevin Owens will always have that as long as Vince McMahon is still alive. Absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, John Cena loves the potential of Kevin Owens. And I think John Cena is a clever, clever guy. And I think he realised he was getting very stale. It took him 10 years to realise that. (laughs) But he was getting very stale. And I think he realised that Kevin Owens was the antidote. So he decided to do the open challenge. So yeah, he would come out and say, anyone who wants to wrestle for this United States Championship, which was like a lower tier belt, and John usually would be like the world champion, the top guy. And he would say, anyone could come out and challenge me for this belt. And it was great. You get to see like matches that were kind of unique. John Cena would wrestle like Stardust or Dean Ambrose, which would have been quite unique for the time. And one of the people who answered the challenge was you know, Sami Zayn. And another one who answered the challenge was then NXT champion Kevin Owens. Which was so fucking great on so many levels. Like, he signs to the company, and who's the biggest fucking John Cena fan in the world? It's Owen Steen, his son, who is a yep. big John Cena mark. And he kind of tells him, you know, I might get to wrestle John Cena one day, who knows? Trying to thinking, you know, maybe five or six years down the line, kind of blue sky <laughs> thinking. Even with everyone at the time going, that's never going to happen. Yeah, and you're talking like three or four months in, and mm-hmm. he's wrestling fucking John Cena. And you get to see... The cutest video ever I ever seeing on Twitter at the time, his wife filmed his kid's reaction to like John Cena saying, who's coming out? And he's like, John Cena's going to fight Kevin Owens. My dad is going to fight John Cena. The most conflicted child on the planet with a KO t-shirt <laughs> and a John Cena brawling buddy. Like, you know, God, we're rocking a hard place right there. Like, if my dad had to fight mankind back in 1998, oh I would have been really scared yeah. for him. Play the flute, Dad. I don't know. Play the tin whistle. And something's got to work. <laughs> but the whole pitch up for this where John is kind of like, let me give you some veteran advice, kids. And he's like, veteran advice. You've been wrestling for 13 years. I've been wrestling for 15. I've never gotten a break till now. Let me give you some veteran <laughs> advice. I love that. You never saw anyone like just come out and lay out John Cena like anyone like if this was like the top muscle man in NXT whatever but the fact that it was Kevin Owens yeah and (sighs) John Cena yeah like no way in a million years this was ever going to happen it was exactly what needed to happen like 110% needed to happen I don't know whose idea it was small part of me thinks it's probably John working with Kevin yeah I mean John knows at that time that his eyes are on Hollywood and he's going to be in the next three or four years going to greener pastures and knowing that you've got to get the next generation ready because otherwise there's nothing for him to come back to and have a big match and make lots of money later on down the line when he inevitably comes out of retirement after he inevitably retires. Mm -hmm. But like, I was just wondering for you, because this is one of the first shows that you would have been watching at the time, like the the main shows at least. Did it strike you as being 
super important and needed as a new fan at the time? Or was it just kind of like a whirlwind of excitement? Because for me, I mean, obviously I've been so sick of John Cena, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Um, I did realise, because it was after we'd done our John Cena episode, ah, that this all happened. Right. I think, had we not covered John at that point, it wouldn't have had the same impact. Mm, right. But yeah, I, I knew at that point that John Cena had had 10 years of being solid championship, no break in that. What was it? He he won the, the belt like 10 times in a year or something silly. Yeah, he was a 15-time champion at this point. 15-time right. world champion. It's ludicrous. And 15 world championships, two Royal Rumble wins, and as Kevin Owens nicely said, 57 horrible t-shirt designs. But in fairness, you ripped off around 31 of them for your own. So, I mean, come <laughs> on. They can't be that bad. And as well, at that time, not many people had actually been signed to the main show and had successfully been pushed. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to think... Who had at that point? Well, Neville had made the transition. He was the first kind of big call-up. Neville and Bo Dallas had both been called up. But again, neither of them were given a push. And Big E had been called up as well. Okay, yeah, Big E, yeah, he was in the New Day. No one had been had successfully transitioned their single success as an NXT world champion, other than Seth Rollins, maybe, I guess. Oh, yeah, Seth. Okay, yeah, you got Seth, Seth was the and exception. Dean and yeah. But, you know, other than like someone who kind of got pushed up this quickly... You know, it felt like this was a real roll of the dice. And especially because he'd only been signed even to NXT for sh- yeah. such a short time. It's great. This match starts and, you know, he's coming out and John's got all the crazy graphics and he's just got the default NXT Titantron behind him. I think that's so fucking great. Speaking of that, you can tell how excited John Cena is for this oh, match. Oh, yeah. He fucking, he's got such a spring in his step. You can see in his eyes, he is so hyped. He is jigging about either like a dog who's just got worms or a dog who's found out he's going to the vet to get rid of worms. He is fucking, <laughs> yeah, jumping all over the place. He can hardly contain himself. You know, John and up-and-comers usually went one way. You know, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. I remember even watching this with you. I, I kind of had the folded arms a little yeah. bit, like, yeah. Which, again, is what makes this match so special. It broke yeah. so many expectations for so many wrestling fans. A lot of people are kind of viewing the last kind of three or four years of wrestling as being, like, a time there was a shift where yeah. it went from, you know, a higher standard of wrestling, the, the actual level of wrestling you're going to see or the quality of wrestling mm. you're going to see in a main show. And I know what you're going to say. Up. You're going to say it's because of this podcast. And you're, you're right, it is. <laughs> I mean, there's no small coincidence that wrestling became really good. No just one's around nipping the time. at the heels at WWE quite like us. <laughs> well, honestly, they've implemented a lot of changes that we've been suggesting. I mean, only recently, Renee Young's been added to the commentary team. I think what they're doing is they're trying to undermine our existing back catalog of episodes. <laughs> See? You know? Shit. You think Brock Lesnar's your favourite wrestler? Well, we're going to undermine him by making you sick of him. <laughs> ha! Gotcha! Hey, to revisit it on Patreon. We're going to right all those wrongs one episode at a time. You just, you come at us with your best, WWE. <laughs> now sign Jimmy Havoc and make Sandman the official dad of WWE. Yeah! And we'll be, we'll have no more words. Oh Good day, God. sir. Sorry, just a total random thought, but imagine Sandman being assigned as, like, GM. <laughs> I was going to say, imagine Sandman playing Overwatch with Xavier Woods Why on would Up, you Up, think Up, Down, Down. That's where I was going to go with that. Because that's, I mean, have you been on his Twitter this past week? It's pretty much all he talks about. Oh, really? Yeah, him playing Overwatch with his son. Aww. But yeah, him as a GM, as a kind of sleepy dad, it's like, there's no main event book tonight. He's falling asleep. Come <laughs> on, guys, you know? John pretty much sets the pace for this straight away where it's like this ain't going to be 
your same song and dance. Like, they throw each other off the ropes and John does a leapfrog straight away. And, like, not any old leapfrog. Like, he jumps as the height of Kevin Owens. His vert, brackets vertical leap, Mm. his vert is fucking insane. Especially considering John Cena, I swear to God, before this match, he had never jumped in his life. I've never seen him jump off his feet. Oh, no, he's done it, Joe. It's just, like... Literally all the grace of a fucking a statue being <laughs> fucked out of an open window. Like. That's the thing. John Cena looks like a man who's made of marble. He doesn't look <laughs> like he should leave the ground at any point. And then in this match, out of nowhere, he's able to jump the most incredible heights and distances. I'm not saying he's the heaviest man in wrestling, but he's certainly the pound for a pound the densest man in wrestling. Like yeah. he just seems difficult to, to move. And when he gets that pop up power bomb, like he goes for it like quite early on. John f- sails over his head. It's unbelievable. We have to talk about the commentary in this match. Now, since Renee Young got got signed to do the main commentary on like on the pay-per-views and on Raw, yeah. I've actually started paying attention to commentary again. It's a miracle. Is it though? Because now it means I have to pay attention to the commentary when it's not got Renee Young on or Maranalo, and it's just bad. Oh, like this in is this peak match. bad commentary team. We got what Michael Cole, Jerry Lawler, and JBL feeling their way through this one, folks. So so bad. Here are some choice quotes. Owens is a fighter who loves to fight. This is a fight. I've never seen a fight like this before. Uh, my favorite one: mechanics. <laughs> Come on, guys. Didn't you get the talking points from the Rocks PR team? He's a dude, not a fighter. Just say the word dude over and over again. And the way they talk about John Cena is so boring as well. They've got nothing to say. Like it or not, you're in the ring with John Cena. (laughs) Of course you are. You're wrestling him. Duh. It is tough to beat this man in a big match. (laughs) That's why they call him Big Match John. Yeah, I think that's what they were getting at. I love the crowd reaction to this because this is a crowd full of people who are exactly in my position at the time. Not necessarily jaded fans, but fans who are conditioned to expect particular outcomes. We're loving the match. We're popping for all the big spots. The second John Cena hits the attitude adjustment, it's like, all right, fine. Come on, get the car, kids. Come on, we're beating traffic. (laughs) Everyone just stands up. (laughs) Like, when he gets into the STF, the crowd goes, like, really quiet and kind of, oh. Like, they just think that, of course, this is how it goes. He's going to lose this fucking Mm -hmm. match. This match is John Cena character rehabilitation. It, uh, honestly, yeah. Kevin kicks out of two attitude adjustments. Oh, baby. And then Kevin does the AA to John Cena. And now that, he does the little you can't see yep. me as well. Yeah. Just in case my son is watching, and he definitely is. <laughs> Which is, again, really impressive because he's got shot John Cena, like we said, probably the densest man weight-wise on the whole roster on his shoulders and he still has a hand free to do the wave in front of his face John Cena mockery you get to see so much of what makes him special you get to see that power which is very impressive and like he's doing he's such a smart competitor because Kevin Owens can do things you mentioned he can do the 450 he can do like the step up moonsault he can do a lot of springboard stuff but much like Cesaro another wrestler who's got bags of tricks for days yes but he's not going to bring him out every single match. It's because then it'll condition you to expect them, and then they become less special. But this is a match when the lights are on bright, and he's doing the the step up springboard moonsault, and like you've got JBL and King, who at the start probably don't really know who the fuck this guy is, and they're like, yeah, 
The lack That's of why they're just referencing his T-shirt all the time. They've nothing to say because they are speechless. They're like they're blown away. He does make believers out of these three guys. Yeah. You maybe don't necessarily think much of him to start off. This match is much about rehabilitating John Cena as setting up Kevin Owens high on the shelf as a top level performer who is going to amaze you. And John's trying to keep up as well, folks. No more five moves to do. John Cena busts out the springboard stunner and the diving leg drop. Two of the scariest goddamn moves ever. No one do that to me, ever. <laughs> ever, ever, ever. Imagine John Cena, though, doing it to you. It's so much scarier. That leg drop, I swear, I, I thought he was going to fucking kill him. Have you seen the man's quads? He's quadzilla. So scary. Like watching a cannonball fly into your face. Oh, Jesus Christ. John hits the dirtiest, stiffest, nastiest clothesline ever. It's all fucking muscle. Oh, his biceps oh they're so scary looking you do it in slow-mo where you literally see the fucking atomized sweat puff into the air have you ever seen in slow motion when someone gets hit in the face with a football and their whole skull just moves it's all of owen's body at that point john cena's arm is the football and not only you see and see do this big dirty clothesline but kevin owens consummate fucking agile professional does like this, he twists in the wind like he's Adrian Neville doing a corkscrew. <laughs> he goes fucking flying. And then out of nowhere, he gets the big pop up powerbomb, cleanly beats John Cena, and it, like, the announcers are speeches. It's his first match on the main roster, and he's beaten the biggest name on the show. And what a fucking perfect introduction. Anyone that crowd didn't know who Kevin Owens was, or anyone watching, immediately buys this guy's legitimate. His weight, his look is nothing to do with this. He is fucking legitimate. He is incredibly over from this moment on. Yep. Oh, man. And I love that he grabs the microphone and he's like, John. That's a promo immediately. Yeah. Flawlessly. That's fucking something. Because how many times have we gotten the post-match promo of the... <laughs> like, honestly, even John Cena himself couldn't have done a better post-match promo. And he says, John... I just want to give you some veteran <laughs> advice. <laughs> oh, man. I adored this match. Absolutely beautiful. What yeah. are your thoughts revisiting this one? I love it. I loved it so much. I give it five out of five stars. It's perfect. Anyone should watch this match. It's beautiful. I don't care if you hate Kevin Owens and John Cena. You ha- <laughs> Just everyone needs to watch this match. It's one of my absolute all-time favorite matches ever yeah and like if you're thinking of introducing a new friend to wrestling and you're not sure what kind of matches to show them this is great Mm. this is so good it's great character work it's great wrestling uh it's a great first introduction to john cena because those are quite you know rare that's true yeah honestly i love it so much it's a match that accomplishes so much and it's kind of it's important not necessarily for what happens in the match it's it's mostly known for the outcome of the match and how important it was and how much it did for each man's career and i kind of thought looking back that maybe i get swept away it's just the hype of all those big newsworthy and important milestones but take all that away it's still just a really incredibly fun wrestling match i mean you've got john cena and kevin owens both putting on like trying their absolute hardest trying to put on the best match of their yeah. careers respectively i mean what about that can't you love like i mean they're both succeeding at it as yeah. well like honestly it's one of the best match of either men's career yeah it is and the crowds start hot and are nuclear by the end yeah. it's awesome i absolutely love it so kevin found himself in a unique position he was feuding with john cena he was nxt champion he was feuding with the debuting samoa joe and also finn balor and also sammy all at the same time <laughs> 
Dad says the line. Oh, wait, when, and Alex Riley. Oh, fucking hell, who could have forgotten? <laughs> <laughs> a lot was going on for him at once. And that's a show that was literally, it went from being like Triple H, really, really, like, we're, you're our special toy, we'll keep mm-hmm. over here. And now they're literally pulling each other in different directions. <laughs> it's like, no, we need him on NXT because he's in nine feuds. Oh, we need him on WWE because he's in ten feuds. <laughs> like, that never has happened before or since where a wrestler has been almost, it feels like, squabbled over like mm-hmm. to get him on a brand. And he went to the main roster quite quickly. I think, selfishly, I would have liked to see him in NXT a little bit longer. Oh, yeah, I would have done. I mean... Him and Shinsuke in NXT would have been a bit of fun. It's so hard because, like, what he did in his first, like, year of being signed to the main show was just, like... It's on it's on my best, most favourite period of wrestling ever. Yeah. So I wouldn't not want that ever in a million years. Yeah. But also, yeah, selfish. I would love to have seen him in NXT <laughs> much longer. So he kind of floats into the Intercontinental Championship scene and he has a kick-ass feud with Dean Ambrose. Their match at the Royal Rumble particularly is one that stands out. their last man standing affair. Very interesting, he did talk. This is very relatable for me as a, as a wrestling fan since a kid. He was like, when I was growing up, I didn't want to be world champion. I wanted to be Intercontinental <laughs> champion. And I was like, oh yeah, I totally get that. And you were like, why? I was like, well, I never had aspirations on the top prize, Joe. I wanted to be European champion when I was growing up, you know? The belt that the likes of Owen Hart, Shane McMahon, and Midian held and once found in a bin. I thought that was the coolest thing. So is that just because of the type of people who had it? I think it's a little brother syndrome thing. Is that I'm obviously not world championship. You know, I'm not going to be a main eventer. Not as long as my brother is going to rip out my controller when I beat him in WrestleMania 2000. So I'll set my sights on the modest European championship, you know, wear underneath a blazer maybe. It's okay. Uh, The only thing that's different though is that I never wrestled a pillow for the Intercontinental Championship. Really? As as Kevin Owens said that he would do. He would would wrestle a pillow. I thought... Every wrestling fan at some point has wrestled a pillow. I know if I would watched wrestling as a kid, I would have wrestled all the pillows. I think maybe because he was in rural French Canada and maybe there wasn't a lot of people to wrestle. But if I wrestled anyone, I was wrestling friends in the back garden, like, you know. Ah, popular kid. Yeah, I wrestled with a pillow as a, as a weapon or as a uh, as a safety device. Right. But never never the opponent. Like, that's kind of, that's a bit strange. You know what? What it actually is, Joe, I wasn't a good enough worker. I couldn't work a pillow. Like, right, yeah. You know, they say Ric Flair could wrestle a broom. Brian Pillman could wrestle a pencil. Kevin Owens can wrestle a pillow. That's a lot <laughs> to be said about that. And he beat that pillow as well. Which he did. Is, again, quite impressive. And Pillow, one of the greatest intercontinental champions of all time, brought a lot of credibility back to the pillow. Where is he now? <laughs> They talk with some of the writers who said that Kevin Owens is a great guy. And again, you can tell straight away they're, they're dancing around the issue. But like the goal-oriented thing comes up again. Mm. And it's being, saying that basically he's never satisfied. And it makes him passionate. But it also makes him more difficult to work with. And I think he has butted heads a lot with some of the creative team about direction or verbiage. And I, I get it because... Wrestling has a huge problem with consistency, with its storytelling, with continuity is a big issue. I mean, we're at the moment, it's what, September 2018, Mm -hmm. where Kevin Owens has spent an entire summer being traumatized by Braun Strowman. And, you know, the other week on Raw, he he helped Braun Strowman. It makes no sense. You know, and you just know when that happened, that's like a long fucking, there's probably a camera documenting it, but it's him sitting, unwrapping his wrist tape, looking pissed off about what's going on. Yeah. He thinks that good enough is not good enough. Yeah, he he yeah. As far as he's concerned, it's it's perfection or nothing. What's the point? 
I mean, he's had some really great feuds, but I would be lying to say that if he's had perfection the whole way. Like, well, it's impossible to have perfection the whole way. Like, that's mm. just not that's not achievable. It's not attainable. It's unrealistic. Yeah, you know, even for someone like Kevin Owens, who is one of the best in the whole industry, to expect perfection always is unfair to yourself and also unfair to everyone else around you. And it's sometimes as well. It's It's weird in wrestling, and I don't think you can pursue that level of perfection because sometimes the stars just don't align. If you know what I mean, it's a yeah, it's a it's a world run by a committee of dusty old white men. (laughs) You've got to get used to kind of your opinions not necessarily being shared by those in the boardroom. And even if the opinions are shared, though, sometimes it just doesn't work out. I mean, like for instance, you know, for every. Sammy and Kevin feud, objectively brilliant. You know, the story they told with those guys on the main roster, I fucking loved. For every one of those, there's Ryback versus Kevin Owens, where, Mm. you know, God help us, we just couldn't bring ourselves to give a shit. But then there's times like the period that's covered in his 365 documentary. The series of matches he had with AJ Styles, there was also in that time period. We, We reviewed those on Patreon, and they were just inexplicably rubbish. Yeah, they were not good. But why? It's Kevin Owens and AJ Styles. Why is it the best match ever? Just sometimes it doesn't work. I don't know. I often wonder with those cases if something happened backstage to kind of make him a bit a bit disenfranchised with maybe the angle. Yeah. And I think if you don't really care about the angle, wrestling is such a difficult industry to like pretend that you care. Or if you just kind of assume, well, hey, it's Kevin Owens and AJ Styles. This is going to be great. And kind of... You know, I think that WWE are guilty of that a lot now that they've got higher level wrestlers and performers. It's like, well, fuck it, Shinsuke Nakamura, he's great. And it's, you know, fucking Dolph Ziggler, he's 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 great. And Joe's giving me the stink eye there. <laughs> but like, here guys we know are can do what they do, so let's just put them out there. We don't need to think much about it. And I think, well, actually, maybe just because they're great, it should be more reason for you to think about oh, it. Oh, absolutely. That's yeah. why, you know, AJ Styles and Samoa Joe don't just kind of go, ah, fuck it. They're great. Put them out there. No, have them do a storybook. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I think also another thing that they're pretty bad for doing is for telling the wrestlers not to do as many top spots or big impressive moves. Yeah, to as dial they might it do. down because they're yeah. not in the main event. Or so, ah, you're not Roman Reigns though, are you? So just dial it down a bit. You don't want to make him look bad. Yeah. Well, one match that was also heavily requested and probably both man's finest encounter. I mean, it's probably difficult to say that after the last match though. We're looking at Sami Zayn versus Kevin Owens from Battleground in 2016. Battleground, a pay-per-view that is so important, we spent a long amount of time in our pay-per-view episode making fun of it. And I do believe on Battleground 2016, the review on Patreon, we did much the same. Oh, really? (laughs) Battleground is just one of those throwaway pay-per-views that no one ever seems to care about. But Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, like... There was no way it wasn't going to be a beautiful feud, you know? Although I do remember at the time being a bit annoyed that they'd started it so quickly. Oh, really? Yeah, I remember you and me discussing around this time saying, ah, they should have waited, you know, mm. they should have dragged it on a bit. Make it, it be a WrestleMania match yeah, type of thing, yeah. Which, I mean, that's a common theme of being a wrestling fan is, is hearing a massive cool angle and being like, yeah, put it on WrestleMania. Sadly, WWE does not necessarily agree. Yeah, they don't. It's. I think if we can teach ourselves to not expect yeah. you know, what we want to be on big shows and just be happy that what you're getting is happening at all. Yeah, I'm going to take that as a lesson out of Kevin Owens' book of life. Yes. Which is sometimes you've just got to be happy with the good moments, even if they're not as great as you had hoped. That's a very, very mature way of looking at mm. Oh, that's good. I'm never going to complain about wrestling again. <laughs> All podcasts cease. (laughs) 
But yeah, it's kind of hard when you look at this match, which happens on like a C show like Battleground, which mm. is, you know, not as important as say SummerSlam, which is the following month where he's on a throwaway match with Chris Jericho against Enzo and Cass. Yeah. And where are they now? <laughs> one of the cool things about WWE now, having hookups and working or agreements with a lot of companies, you know, like Ring of Honor, Dragon Gate and Evolve and having all the footage they have from the Performance Center you get these real, like, fucking in-depth video packages mm-hmm. where they're going all the way back to the start of their careers and kind of showing them their whole path all the way together. I would also say, in terms of if you want to show someone a first match in terms of, here's a great story that can be told in wrestling, that can only be told in wrestling. Oh, Sammy and Kevin, what a great story. Because, you know, his debut in NXT, even though Sammy got injured quite quickly, it just meant that the feud got shifted onto the main show, yeah. really. And that got woven in here. It's like, you came here, and the first thing you did was take me out. Mm-hmm. And now Sammy comes back, and he's on the main roster. And what's the first thing he does? He kicks Kevin out of the Royal Rumble. He makes sure that he loses his intercontinental belt at WrestleMania. He's like, you're not going to have any success because of what you've done to me and yep. oh I'm going to say this is peak hunk Sami Zayn as well here he's cut up to fuck he's a big beefy stack of pancakes here oh he comes out with his jacket and his trousers and no top on looking a bit hot he's got abs here I forgot that Sami Zayn had like really impressive NXT abs at some point I'm just saying Burberry you want to shift some fucking coats oh yes yeah Hi, this is Sammy. how you do it yeah 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 soft hat hard abs that's the way we do it folks <laughs> I do, however, having said that, I I mean, current Sammy is equally as hunky. I'm sorry. In his own kind of sexy, sne- stinky, sneaky kind of way. He's like a softer Sammy now in his weird, sleazy way. But I, I still, yeah, total <laughs> hunk. It's it's sad though when you know that that softness is not because of like a sneakiness. It's because he's been worn down. Nagging shoulder injury for like yeah. months and months. The word destiny gets thrown around to imply that these two are like destined to fight. And the one thing I don't like about this feud is that it precipitated the very cringiest of all chants in wrestling, fight forever. Do you really want that wrestling audience? Really? You want Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn to fight forever? Forever? Forever ever? And never ever? (laughs) Okay, how about this as a chant? Fight for three times. Two a satisfying conclusion. Yeah, I think even then... It's pushing it. It's too definitive. I think you've got to see where the angle takes you. You know, it should be like in Community. Instead of six seasons in a movie, it's three matches and a hell in a cell. That's what we <laughs> want to have for our, our feuds. Let's work that into a chant instead. It's much more believable. <laughs> Sammy goes for the halluva kick, his finishing move, straight away. Mm-hmm. There's so much about this. Like, and this, can only, this match could only have happened if the previous match we talked about happens. Yes. Like... Vince McMahon, like, having a match on his show where they're openly talking about these guys having careers in other companies. Yeah, at the time, this was so... Un- this is unheard of. Like, yeah. abs- even I was shocked at the time, and I was still quite new to wrestling. I'd only been watching a year or two by this point. And I couldn't believe that they were showing footage of them on, like, Ring of Honor together and stuff. It's really, really, like, you know... It's really great because, honestly... I get the WWE don't want to mention competition and they don't want to make people think, oh, there's other wrestling out there. But, like, there comes a point when someone's backstory and their baggage actually is... It's a benefit. It's a great thing, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, again, it's another thing which Vince McMahon learned 
in like the mid nineties, you know, the likes of mankind and Mick Foley, his whole story that he told was you know that he'd been to all these companies and his fucking horrible journey made him the character he was. Yeah. Vince has to learn the same lesson every twenty years, it feels like. It's because he he is wrestling, and as wrestling fans, as the wrestling industry, we have a very short term memory. Yeah. We forget things very quickly. We have to because of the industry. And that is Vince's brain. Yeah, I think Vince McMahon, he's got the ghost of wrestling past and the ghost of wrestling present and the ghost arresting future they're all sitting on his shoulders yeah and two of them have tag teamed the ghost arresting past so he can't remember any of the lessons that he told him how many times do we have to show you your grave old man god damn it like <laughs> lots and lots of stiff punts from Kevin Owens this is something I love that he does is that he'll go and he'll do these really mean hard hitting shots and then he winds up for another one and then locks in a headlock yeah he is the master of the troll headlock. I wonder what your thoughts are on this when he puts in these long headlocks that make the crowd go... He is very good at using the headlock effectively most of the time. But then, having said that, some of his matches with like AJ and Shinsuke, he used them way too much. Yeah. And it wasn't effective. It was just That's boring. True. Mm. So... I'm... I know, it's difficult because like on one hand, sometimes he seems to be the master of using it to tell a story and other times it seems to be, eh, I can't be bothered, I'll just do a headlock because it's my character and I'm a heel. Like if someone who you're wrestling has got flashy offense, it is the most frustrating thing. Yeah. I think it's one of those things that subconsciously as a wrestling fan, you don't realize like how pissed off you're getting when someone's in a headlock or a chinlock. I did love around this time when this is when Lesnar was really on his peak of his run. And he was doing your suplex city, and he would put people in and just go, Headlock City, baby! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> really early on in this match, Sammy he falls off the like the top rope kind of onto the apron. Oh god, yeah, it's like kind of it's an Asahi moonsault where it's like a springboard, but instead of using his feet to bounce, he uses his thighs, like he bounces with his thighs. And it looks like it goes wrong. Like horribly wrong. Like really horribly wrong. Like he's like, gonna land right in his head. Yeah, it looks honestly like is Sammy going to have to be kind of wheeled off to a hospital now? Local medical facility, Joe. Right, okay, Vince. Verbiage, pal, come on. And at the time, I thought that was totally unintentional, just a mishap that then happened to then be used as like a bit of storyline in the match because they're very, both very talented. Yeah, because he lands, looks like he's going to land on his head and he kind of falls onto his shoulder and Kevin Owens kind of just gets in and make it time to, to yeah. take some of it. But Ugh. on the rewatch, I'm not so sure. And I'm... You were saying that it might be intentional. I'm starting yeah. to think maybe, yeah, it was. This often happens with, with wrestlers. It's something that I am I love because I'll never know. I, mean, I, kind of, happened, I like not knowing. This Our last Patreon review, Hell in a Cell, our match that we covered for Jeff Hardy and Randy Orton. Mm. Same kind of thing. We weren't sure how yes. much of it was a work and how much of it was a shoot. Like, was this a legitimate accident where he nearly landed on his head and then landed on his shoulder awkwardly? And then, you know, pretty much the second half of this match is... Kevin Owens working that arm and Sammy selling that arm the whole time. And it's worth noting, that's the same shoulder and arm that he had previously yes. been injured and had to stop wrestling for. So is the story that he legitimately nearly injured himself and then they knew straight away, holy shit, you, you nearly landed on your shoulder, let's work this in on the fly and it's a great story. Or is it that that was planned all along and it's like, well, make people think this is real and then think, oh God, Kevin is really horrible because he's working on this body part that I just landed on. Mm. Either way, I love it. <laughs> I think it's more likely that it's intentional. I think so. Knowing these two and how long they've been wrestling together and also the type of wrestling they did in their youth, mm. like you can just imagine them spending hours in the ring, like just 
playing and being like, oh, look how they, I can make this look real sick. Like, I really fucked up. It look is, at it's this. the number one way to work, like, wrestling, like, jaded wrestling fans. William Regal, I, I think I mentioned this to you when we were watching it, to, like, as an example. William Regal once wrestled Lance Storm in a match, and William Regal is very prone to a, a bloody nose, uh, as are everyone from Blackpool, England, I think. <laughs> but he was wrestling a match at Lance Storm, who's kind of a technical wrestler, and he gave him a wallop you know in the face and regal got a bloody nose and straight away everyone who's watching is like oh my god he stiffed him so you got to get a receipt because really mm. regal's old school and then regal did for the rest of the match this kind of old world of sports stuff where he's like really nasty like slamming the arm onto the ring mat put him into the apron and start punching him big nasty chops and that for years like 10 15 years everyone was like did you ever see that match where William Regal lost his shit and he like he went he shot on Lance Storm like he, he beat the shit out of him and then William Regal doing his live show is like oh by the way folks yeah we decided beforehand you know give me a bit of blood everyone will think that I'm shooting on you and that worked it it was all perfectly safe what he was doing it's just playing with your expectations and they they do that quite a bit these days I know AJ Styles in a match he had I can't remember who it was against but it was only this year I'm sure yeah he was about to do some kind of springboard flip or something and his foot just missed the rope yeah and the idea was his head wasn't in the game was what they were meant to be yeah. saying yeah and I was totally worked I thought he'd fucked up and then it wasn't until afterwards you were like oh no definitely that was intentional no way would he make a mistake like that how about Seth perpetual arrow to the knee Rollins exactly. I mean people hate that though because they yeah. hate Seth will do every move and start clutching the bad leg and we're like we cried with you man we cried with you on 24 like we left Wrestlemania at the same time you did man see I'm of the opinion it's it's fun when the wrestler itself like themselves do it right it's not fun when WWE do it like when mm. they start bringing in like ambulances and stuff yeah, and it's like yeah. genuine concern that your favourite wrestler might be potentially retired by tomorrow yeah when they're making out like they're seriously hurt in this yeah. match whatever it's maybe a bit too much which is what they've done with Sasha Banks a fair few times yeah, that's true <laughs> that's just not in good taste but I I, if this is intentional I loved it it was so so good because he really does he works that shoulder then so much for the rest of the match and as he's putting in all these submission holes I figured the hardest thing in the world to be is to be a referee in a Kevin Owens match. <laughs> because when the referee's right in his face, and he's like, what do you say, Kevin? What do you say? Or, what do you say, Sammy? What do you say? And he's looking at him, what are you doing, Kevin? And he looks at the referee right in the eye and goes, he quits! He quits! And then he wrenches and goes, yeah! Sammy's like, going, no, no. Yes, he does. <laughs> and he wrenches and he goes, that's how you do it, ref. <laughs> like, right <laughs> in his eyes. And you can tell he is trying so hard to make him laugh. It's fucking own heart levels of being a fucking <laughs> dickhead. <laughs> These two are pulling out some of the stuff that they were doing routinely in, like, the Ring of Honor matches we would have watched where it's like Sammy doing the brain buster onto the ring apron or them doing like, you know, Sammy doing the dive through the ring ropes to do the spinning DDT, but then he gets hit with a super kick. Like stuff you just aren't seeing. And I'm glad that these guys don't do this every match. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of wrestlers who did really spectacular stuff and then they came into WWE and they did it in every match. Yeah. And then it just became, oh, that's the guy that does the shooting star or the 450 or whatever. These guys work them in in smart ways. I think that's something, if you're an old-timey wrestler or an old-timey wrestling fan who's always complaining about the young kids with all their hashtag top spots, the accepted terminology for such manoeuvres, <laughs> people like the Young Bucks, whatever, and it's like, oh, they're just going in and doing all these crazy spots. When you're those guys, I think, on the undercard, you have to do in all those crazy spots because that's all people are going to remember mm -hmm. from your match. 
No one's going to be like, hey, remember the great storyline from that fucking random indie show? With the amazing promo package that they spent thou- hundreds of thousands of dollars on making it look really cool yeah. with staff writers and yeah, teams right. of people to help tell the story. Yeah, like a literal production. So yeah. get the attention of the fans and make a name for yourself with those top spots. Yeah, but then when it comes to being on a big show with these production values, then you can find the moments to weave them in and make a compelling story out of it. There's nothing wrong with people doing nothing but these spots. They have to. You know, they can't tell a fucking story with a headlock like Randy Orton can, you know? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, even the difference between NXT and the main show. Like, Samoa Joe wrestles a very different style yeah. on the main show than he did in NXT. In NXT, he pulled out a whole bunch of hashtag top spots. It's more considered now. Yeah, now he realises... That he's in this for the long term. He's got to tell a story. He's got to put over his character in a very particular way. Yeah. So he's really careful with which moves he does and when. I think people would be surprised to know that most wrestlers probably know that. And that's kind yeah. of, you know, when you're in PWG, oh, you're just doing nothing but top spots and crazy moves no one's seen before. Yes, that's how you get signed. Yeah. Like, until that changes. You want to impress a talent scout who's deliberately looking to see what kind of wrestling you can do and what yeah. moves you're capable of? Yeah, they're going to want to see that. They're not looking at the promotion, the production. They're looking at the wrestlers. Yeah. And that's what the wrestlers can do to get noticed. So, yeah. A little aside there. These guys get a standing ovation as they do their double suplex sequence. It's something I rarely see in wrestling is a standing ovation in the middle of a match. Mm. It's something that you will see in Japan quite a lot. And that's really cool. And I mean, you got to think for these two guys who probably daydreamed, you know, sitting in that car, driving to California thinking, "This this is it. And you've got a standing ovation. And these guys completely stole this show. They did, yeah. We get a real emotional end when Sammy hits the halluva kick, smashes Kevin Owens, and then kind of like hugs him. Kevin falls into Sammy's arms. And you've got a moment where it almost looks half like Sammy's keeping him on his feet and half like he's hugging Kevin. And you think for a second, like, is he going to, like, is this going to be some emotional finish here? Is he going to, like, look after Kevin or, like, not attack him? Like, what's going to happen? And then no, completely against everything we know about Sami Zayn. This is how far he's come and how broken he is by Kevin. He's like, no, I'm not going to just stand here hugging my best friend who I've known for you know nearly 20 <laughs> years. He puts him in the corner and then does his hell of a kick again. Boom. Fucking love it. Two kicks in a row. He gets the big win. Sami beats Kevin clean and... What a fucking beautiful fairy tale match that is. It's so great. They've wrestled a bunch of times since and them teaming was really, really oh, special. It's so nice. Actually, it was one of the highlights of SmackDown for the last year on Patreon, us reviewing the SmackDown shows. Anytime Kevin and Sammy were on screen with the Yep movement, it was yeah. uh, always a really great time. Those are two guys whose career is just intertwined. And I don't know, a lot of people think they've done everything they should do. They should never wrestle again. I'd be happy to see them team up and wrestle again until the end of time. They'll yeah, come on. They'll they're always gonna pull out fucking new stuff. That's the thing. I think when I they first were feuding together on the main show for this angle, I was quite upset that they'd like they'd done it already. Yeah, and I think our people were upset that it was finished at a show like Battleground and yeah. not WrestleMania again, you know? But actually, I think as wrestling fans, we need to come to terms with the fact that, yes, okay, wrestling has a famously short-term memory, but it's getting better, it's getting longer, and I think more and more now, WWE are looking at the big picture storylines. Mm. They're still not great at it. They're good at doing it for two or three people at a time. Yeah. And then they can't spin all them plates. No. Even with their staff of fucking writers. Yeah. Like. 
But yeah, I mean, I, I'm really hopeful for the future of those two. I think there's going to be some really exciting feuds between them in the future. Yeah, they're fucking. They're they're de- they are destined to fight together. But yeah. I think as they've shown recently, they're also destined to be best friends forever by the looks of things. Speaking of best friends, yeah, we would be amiss not to mention. Kevin's history of, of having best friends. Yes, because quite shortly after this, he found a shiny new best friend. He sure did. One whose t-shirt he wore when he was a kid and did the poses of, which has got to be the most awkward thing in the world, you know, talking about that. But he teamed up shortly thereafter and became best friends with Chris Jericho. So, so sweet. Again, it's, it's really nice that you can have, like... Could you even imagine that as like, a, I don't know, when you were watching wrestling when you were growing up, would you have ever have seen a wrestler wrestle with the wrestler that they idolised as a kid with photographic evidence of said idolization? I mean, the only other one is Seth Rollins dressing up as Wolfpack Sting when, <laughs> uh, from like 97. But well, that's sad, he ended his career. Yeah, that's the only other one we have and it's quite sad. So yeah, I mean, I remember most about this when Jericho... You know, you came here and he teamed up with, with Kevin Owens for this like year-long run, it basically was, of, of them being kind of teamed up together on, on Raw. And this changed my opinion on Chris Jericho. Yeah, you didn't like him before. Like, totally 180-degree turnaround. I hated Chris Jericho as a face. When he was on, what was it, Breaking Ground? Uh, no, Tough Enough. He was on Tough Enough, Yeah, sorry. he was the host of that. You fucking hated him. I just him. despised him. I didn't understand the appeal whatsoever. And then as soon as he turned heel and started teaming up with Kevin Owens, I was all over that so they had a weird kind of friendship it's like it hit on so many levels at at its core it was that kevin owens had become the universal champion so he finally won the top prize and he'd been kind of anointed as the top guy on raw and jericho was his buddy and kind of a little bit of the story was that jericho knew his star was waning and wanted to hitch his wagon to the big top guy The other part of the story was that Kevin Owens wanted to take advantage of a veteran who was there to watch his back and would constantly help him cheat and win his matches. But then the story turns into that Jericho legitimately, like, is his best friend. Yeah. And they tell this story of, like, even though they're two fucking nasty pieces of shit who team up to make Roman Reigns' life hell and all the stuff and put everyone on (laughs) Jericho's stupid list... That, like, Jericho, he comes out and he says really heartwarming things. Like, you know, I want you to know that the last year of my career has been, like, the most fun. And I thought that, you know, my, my best days were behind me. And you showed me that, you know, I still have a lot to give back to this industry. And, like, you can tell that is 100% the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Especially seeing as, you know, since this angle ended and he left WWE, you know, Chris Jericho, I'm not saying I'm a massive fan of what he's up to now. But as far as he's concerned, he's living his best wrestling life. Oh, yeah, I mean, he's... He is so... He's, he's one of the hottest things in wrestling right now. Yeah, and that is uh, thanks to this feud. Absolutely. Because when you started watching wrestling, Jericho had kind of... He had had the three or four comebacks where he's like, yeah, you're back. Yeah, you're back. Okay, you're back. When's Jericho back? Oh, he's back. And it's kind of... <laughs> he had kind of... Not to say he ran out of goodwill, but it felt like he had very little to offer in terms of them being an old name coming back. He was very at risk of becoming like a Dolph Ziggler type. Just being boring. there. He's there. Yeah, and that's such a shame to think that could have happened. And I think Jericho wouldn't be having the world's smelliest cruise. Well, or, hang on there. He said lots of sexy ladies were going to be there. You know what? They're going to stink as well, I'm sure. <laughs> but the world's most body older powered cruise, him appearing in New Japan Pro Wrestling or at All In, all this, like, you know, crazy shit that he's doing right now. I really don't think that'd be happening if no, it wasn't for this feud. No way. Absolutely. Kevin Owens made him culturally relevant, 100%. There were a lot of 
feuds I remember when we were getting interesting that really kind of clicked with you. I know you loved, you know, Lesnar and Seth was, mm-hmm. a, was an early fave, but I think it, from my perspective and just kind of you know watching you watch, I can't think of an angle where like you know when we were time to watch Raw, you'd be like. Yeah, yeah. What, what's happened with them this week? I need to know the next bit of this story. It was great because it was fun. It was silly. It was about friendship. So it's like the nice part of wrestling, which is always going to be like my favourite part of wrestling. The stuff that gets told the least. And what I love as well about it is that it disproved another thing that Kevin Owens had working against him and something that, uh, you know, that Jim Cornette said that was, you know, totally wouldn't work, was the humour. And yeah. that you can't be a serious, you know, killer heel and be silly and goofy. And here were Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho being like, you're the ghost. Thanks. You're the donkey. <laughs> yeah, they were being really goofy with each other. The whole thing with the list was so fucking funny. It was, yeah, it was adorable. Yeah, and they like, were like, they were best friends. But the way they were best friends was like, it was like two 10-year-old girls. It was lovely. It was like such a lovely, <laughs> lovely friendship. You know, they seemed genuinely really supportive of each other. Yeah, babysitter's I, club level shit. I'm going to say it as well, and I know a lot of wrestling fans won't like me saying this, but they were in love. And I don't mean romantically. I mean as best friends. We said yeah. at our live show the importance of telling your friends that you love them. Yeah, they definitely loved each they other. They loved each other and they weren't afraid to say it. And I, I loved that. I think you can do humour and be goofy and still be serious heels because I think... I think at the end of the day, even they would make people laugh. No one was laughing when they were doing nasty stuff no. or Kevin was winning matches and all that. And also as well, the fact that it was goofy and silly, a lot of their humor made the festival of friendship oh the God. most fucking tragic thing in wrestling ever. Now we talked a bit about this before in our Patreon reviews, but for me, this stands up as one of the all time classic moments in wrestling. If you Google, if you put the word Kevin into YouTube, the first thing that comes up is the Festival of Friendship, which yeah. is like 4 million views now. Yeah. Describe the Festival of Friendship, Joanna, for anyone who may not have seen it. And if you've not, go watch it, wipe away your tears, and then come back and listen to this. So, important setup for the Festival of Friendship. By this point, Kevin and Chris Jericho, they've been best friends long term. And, you know, they'd been so supportive of each other so many times, but then it seemed like every so often it seemed like something wasn't quite right between them. Mm. Not as um, as real life people, but as, as characters. There were moments in matches where, you know, they weren't as supportive as the other one expected them to yeah. be. And it suddenly seemed like things, I don't know, wasn't quite right. Because he was going to have to fight Goldberg and he was convinced he was going to lose. Yeah. And Jericho was trying to say, no, it'll be fine. And he's like, mm. and then I think Triple H got in his ear. Like they implied that Triple H said you you you're soft as long as you've got this mate hanging around with mm-hmm. you. Oh, and now I knew one of them was going to turn on one of them at some point, but I was never completely sure who it was going to be. And so we have this festival of friendship, and it had been hyped up for like two months, which again is like ages in wrestling yeah. time. And the idea of the Festival of Friendship was it was supposed to be a celebration of their wonderful time being best friends together. And it was going to be a time of gifts and a time of um, celebrating their greatest achievements. And Friendship the Clown was there. Friendship the Clown was there. <laughs> um, it was fantastic, yeah. I think we all thought that Kevin was going to get Chris like something like a nice scarf or something, you know, a nice gift. Chris had gotten a painting commissioned of them both, like a special portrait. An interpretive sculpture of friendship as well. Yeah. It's like, like two abstract figures hugging. <laughs> it was like genuinely touching, lovely, very cheesy gift. You can buy a gift pack now 
now like a, a toy set of the two of them and Jericho's even got his little special sparkly hat and Aww. it has the picture and a little friendship statue as well. Oh wow, that's so cool. <laughs> Chris gives Kevin all of his gifts. He has loads of them. It seems to be never ending the, the amount of uh, presents he has to give to his BFF. And then it comes time for, for Kevin to give his gift and he goes, ah, oh, you know, I'm really sorry, mine's not nearly as impressive as yours. It's just a little something. And you're kind of thinking, oh, it's going to be something really cool. I thought it was going to be a proper glittery scarf like to the match most his glittery jacket. scarf there's ever been well because yeah chris jericho's jacket cost 25 grand and it had been destroyed by dean ambrose that's so- true oh man living the fucking best 2016 17 life right here i know right? i forgot all about that so good <laughs> and then so i thought kevin was gonna get him like a nice scarf as like a gesture like to replace his his sparkly jacket and it out comes this little lovely neat box and uh, Chris opens it up and he looks inside and his l- face lights up. He's like, oh my God, Kevin, I can't believe you got me my very own new list. Because his last list had been destroyed. Yeah, the list of Jericho where all of his enemies and detractors have been written down very, very meticulously. Exactly. Which again is a very important note. Yeah. Chris Jericho had been managing this list extensively for the last year, putting on names of anyone who had wronged him or not even wronged him. He just decided that day he didn't like him that much. (laughs) The idea was the list was this ultimate compendium of everyone who was going to get fought by Chris Jericho. And then he gets given his very own brand new shiny list, all new and not broken by his best friend, Kevin Owens. And he looks down at the list and he goes, wow. Wait a second. Why is my name on this list? And then just as he says that, he lifts up the list and you can see on the back it says the list of Kevin Owens. And then Kevin Owens just attacks him. Beats the shit out of him. Like totally, like throws him into the painting Jericho had commissioned, uses like the statue of friendship to like beat the crap out of him. Smashed him him into a TV monitor as well. He power bombed him on the apron. The line of commentary, which was Corey Graves, and he said, Kevin Owens is leaving with his only actual friend, the Universal Championship. I was like, ah! How many friends does he have to betray before we learn our lesson? Just the way, like, Chris Jericho, for all my issues with him, like, the way he delivered that line, why is my name on the list, is the sad, like, it made me cry so much. So sad. Like, he, the way his voice breaks, like, you could, it's just, oh, it's so raw. And, like, he, he obviously channeled, I think, something. Yeah, he sounds like 10 years old when yeah. he's saying it. And the fact that he's, like, an older guy as well, like, he's so innocent. And he that's looks, what makes it so sad. And he looks so lame standing there. Yeah, with his there. little sparkly hat. And his, like, little scarf. Oh, his... man. Oh. Definitely the saddest anime death in, in wrestling so history. And then, you know, they got a great feud out of that. Like, you know, they had the Goldberg situation. And then from that, they had Jericho and Kevin Owens at WrestleMania, which was really great to see that they had that match at WrestleMania, which is a match which you and I really love. The one that has the famous finish uh, where Kevin Owens gets his baby pinky finger mm-hmm. on the rope to get out of a, of a pin. And apparently Vince McMahon, that's the... Are we cool? No, we are not cool. Yeah, on the 365 Days documentary, which I strongly suggest you watch just to see what a piece of shit Vince McMahon is, abusive dad, he 
does this amazing match, which I don't understand why anyone would have any issue with it whatsoever, but Kevin comes out of the match and he's not happy with it. He doesn't even seem to know why he's not happy with it. He just isn't. Mm. And he goes backstage to Vince. Vince, who we've seen on this documentary, you know, quite a routine they've got themselves into. Kevin does his match. He comes out. He says to Vince, are we cool? And Vince goes, yeah, and so on. But after this match, you can tell something's wrong. He makes his way up to Vince, who doesn't even look up from his screen. Kevin goes, uh, hey, man, no response. Are we cool? No. Again, no look up from the screen. He doesn't even acknowledge his existence other than that one, that single word that just like destroys any ounce of hope within Kevin Owens that ever existed. And that's the thing, right? WrestleMania, you typically, as a performer, you bring your family because you put everyone up in a nice hotel. There's a nice after party. Everyone gets, you know, great seats. And he has to go hang out with his wife and kids now, knowing that the one person in wrestling whose opinion ultimately matters yeah. thought that he didn't do a good job. and Won't even tell him why. Yeah. Like, he literally won't even explain why he's unhappy. I wonder if that's because the camera's there and Vince doesn't want to talk about stuff like that with a camera. It's just, no, we'll talk later, not now, because it's not not on camera. Am I Because I don't think Vince has ever talked about a match or talked about that kind of thing with the camera there so maybe he's just being ultra protective but even still you know you could say i catch you later yeah you know that's easy no mode. he he he's being very intentional yeah, with he wanted him to feel bad yes he did you can tell he wanted him to feel bad oh, anyone so who's ever met an abusive person can tell that's exactly vince mcmahon is a very clever manipulator he wanted kevin to feel like shit and he managed it oh god fucking good job but i mean that can't that that didn't and ultimately, I don't think anything can derail Kevin Owens' momentum. And I think that when you're in WWE, with the amount of hours that they have of programming and how much people get moved around, and they've got so many people coming up from NXT and rosters being turned over so much, I think you'd be really, really stupid to not expect Kevin Owens to have more bumps along the road. And it's not just him. It's going to be like a lot of people that it happens to. I think he'll always have more to prove, as we've said, as a result of... Vince McMahon's overall kind of opinions, and I do think that nothing's a given with your when you're someone like Kevin Owens. And he's had some really kick-ass moments since then. I mean, like after that was when he had you know a few months after that he had the angle where he headbutted Vince and they had the big feud with Shane, which was fucking awesome. I felt very cathartic. There. Yeah, seriously, yeah. drawing blood for Vince McMahon. Are we cool now? <laughs> Slightly takes the uh, the fun edge off though when you know that Vince was probably begging to be headbutted. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's hard. There's so many spinning plates in WWE. My only concern for Kevin Owens is that he could be lost in the shuffle, you know, and that he, or he could be taken for granted. There are a lot of wrestlers who are really incredible performers who get maybe kind of put to one side. Like Cesaro is absolutely incredible. You know, he's a wrestler I've always loved. I think he could be doing more than he is, but he's doing really good at what he's doing and he's been kind of put there and that's his role. See, I'm less worried about that for Kevin because I love Cesaro. I think he's one of the greatest wrestlers in the world but he's not as ambitious. Yeah. You can tell that. He's a he's a nice gentle guy who knows what he likes and he thinks he's having a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. Um and I think for him it's much more about the people he gets to work with than you know the type of matches he puts on or if he's the most famous star or if yeah, he earns yeah. the most money. But for Kevin Owens, I'm less worried. I think Kevin if he's unhappy he will change things. He'll find a way. That's where you said it cuz like one of the last quotes in the documentary was he didn't have the look. So what he did was he redefined what the look is. And I think that's like you know, if you can if he's gotten this far and he's managed to challenge so many of those preconceived ideas already, mm-hmm. then 
you know, you can only be positive about his future, I think, knowing that he's not going to take shit lying down. My worry, and I realise this is a long way away, hopefully, my worry is when his career has to come to an end. It's inevitable. Unfortunately, wrestling, you cannot do it forever. It's just one of those industries your body will not let you. And, you know, you see people like Daniel Bryan who live wrestling for as long as... Like, Daniel Bryan and Kevin Owens, I think they're both, like, equal footing in terms of wrestling fans. Like, they've lived that from such a young age. It's all they know. It's all they want to do. Yeah. And I worry for, like, Kevin when he's got to stop. Like, he's going to want to still achieve all his goals. Mm. And I don't know. I just... I hope he's able to, you know, when he eventually retires, I hope he's able to find an equally fulfilling... Oh career. man, if he's not a commentator or something though, Joe. I, mean, I hope for way rise. more than that. Like, yeah. I hope, obviously, I hope he's a commentator. I hope he could do manager work. I hope he could train people. Mm. Like, I know I said this, all this stuff about Daniel Bryan, but Kevin Owens is like even better at all that stuff. He's, he has so much to offer. Yeah. Like, honestly, Kevin Owens out of anyone I would ever want to start their own wrestling show, Kevin Owens I think is the type of person who could do it. And definitely, of anyone whose brain I'd love to pick about wrestling, he's definitely one. And I mean, that's a great thing about Kevin Owens is that he was so prolific in terms of doing interviews and things like that before he came to wwe there's loads of great shoot interviews with him with high spots he's done art of wrestling twice his second appearance is a lot more chill and laid back where he mainly talks about uh strategies for going through the zoo you have to go through twice in case you miss anything the first time around it's a really good strategy because you never know the tigers might be asleep yeah or you know like he says, a snake might have moved. He's basically saying, don't give the same approach to an art gallery that you would for a zoo. It's a very, very good, very, very good point. And also the Kevin Steen show, his own chat show that he did with High Spots. There's some absurdly funny like stories and interviews that he does with people. His one with Matt Hardy is a real standout one. And obviously the one he did with Jimmy Jacobs is where he revealed that story about him, you know, embarrassing himself as a 17 year old. Oh, so like, God. yeah, there's so much and he's such a personable guy and I'm kind of like, you know, the WWE, they document everything now. And I kind of, a lot of times it makes me feel a bit uneasy. But when it comes to people like Kevin Owens and how entertaining he is and how knowledgeable he is, I'm very happy that there is always more to find out about him. So that is Kevin Steen, a.k.a. Kevin Owens, the prize fighter. Seemingly one of everyone's absolute favorite wrestlers because we have got a shitload of hyper-positive and very, very lovely tweets and Facebook messages. Let's go check them out now. This is from Chaz Mission. Unbelievably talented, both on the mic and in the ring. He deserves way more than he's been given. Hard to argue that he wouldn't be in a much more favorable position in the company if he better fit Vince's mould of how a pro wrestler is supposed to look. Yeah, if anyone could talk like that and had like a body like Seth Rollins or whatever, you know, yeah, that would be Vince's favourite wrestler in the world probably. Maybe mm-hmm. make him a few inches taller. But like, it's hard to say that though because... As you mentioned, the look makes the character. I, yeah, I honestly, you know? I would never change a single thing about Kevin Owens. I would be disappointed if he suddenly beefed up and became like really muscular. Like I'm sure yeah. he could work it. Yeah, because I'm sure, he's Kevin Owens. But there would be a part of me that would be like, oh, but that look was so unique. It was yeah. him. It's Mister Wrestling. He looks like a loudmouth. That's looks, yeah. what I want. I, yeah. It's like William Regal famously has said, like you, the best moments in wrestling are the ones that anyone can identify with it's the moves that you've experienced before like a noogie to their head or pulling at the ear or something or putting a piece of paper between someone's finger webbing kevin owens is the type of character that we can all 
kind of relate yes. to. We've all known a, a Kevin Owens type bully in our lives. If anyone has ever worked in the service or like, you know, in a customer facing industry, you know, we all have met a Kevin Owens yeah. and had to get them shoes. Have you gone to school? You'll have known <laughs> a Kevin Owens. Okay. They exist in everywhere in life. That guy, Bry, says, On the indies, Kevin Steen was a killer who didn't need any friends. In WWE, Kevin Owens has gradually become a pansy who needs Sami Zayn. I can't help but feel he is worth so much more. What SmackDown is doing for Samoa Joe is what Raw should be doing for Owens. It's interesting that him being on Raw, they have struggled a little bit with him compared to him being on SmackDown. Because if him and Sami were on SmackDown, it was like our favourite part of the show. We would, you know, On Patreon, we were constantly saying it was our favourite thing. And then when it moved to Raw, it was like, ah, this is going to be such a dream because you have Sammy and Kevin and then they're going to do stuff with like the Shield and whatnot, maybe. Is mm-hmm. that what's going to be? And it's just not really worked out. Like, I mean, Sammy got injured and that obviously plays a big part of it. But yeah, in fall 2018, I think most of us who are Kevin Owens fans are a bit frustrated. The main issue I have is with the Braun Strowman thing. You can't feud against someone and then just randomly decide to help them. And especially not when that person is Kevin Owens. I'm sorry, if he's helping Braun Strowman, he needs an ulterior motive. You imagine there was a couple of arguments that were happening before he was made to go out. Yeah, that's kind of the most upsetting thing about it, is you know Mm. the one person who hates that the most is going to be Kevin Owens. Yeah, none of us could hate it as much as him. Yeah. Handsprings 777. Excellent name. As good as he is on the microphone, my absolute favourite thing I've ever heard from him is the pure joy and his dorky laughter at El Generico is a big boy. (laughs) Brackets, I shouldn't mock him because he follows me and I'm worried he'll powerbomb me on the ring edge. Oh, speaking of following, Kevin Owens, the master of how to be a heel on Twitter without fucking working yourself up and ruining it for everyone. Famously had a feud with Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yeah, we found that out in our live show recently. Well, I knew about that way really? when it was happening, yeah. Melissa Joan Hart, through gritted teeth, I'll be watching our Sabrina rewatch. The uh, best thing know? about that is you know she's in on it. Because yeah. she's such a wrestling fan, she would be over the moon that he blocked her. Absolutely. And I will, as a follow-up from our live show, where we, where we were asking on the Atchera podcast who should become a Salem-type character... Kevin Owens being made to be a cat for 100 years for his crimes against best friends. That would be a total punishment for him, yeah. But that would be, you want to see a little cat with Kevin Owens' voice, you know? I want to see a bully cat. Yeah. Comrade Iota, absolutely my favourite person in wrestling today. Brilliant, funny, scary when he wants to be, and just generally such a breath of fresh air. I talked through the Festival of Friendship story with some non-wrestling fans recently, and I had them absolutely enthralled. Wow, that's just from just describing it and telling us. It's one of the perfect angles, I think, to show new fans. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of wrestlers we cover on this show, and I think a lot of the wrestlers we kind of... Yeah, I wouldn't say jump in with Jimmy Havoc straight away or jump in with Paul Heyman straight away. But honestly, in Kevin terms Owens. of a wrestler, yeah. to show around, because he challenges maybe what a lot of normies might think a wrestler might look like. And he's entertaining as fuck. He does things. He'll make you laugh. He'll make you cry. I think he will show, you know, what I first, I asked you recently, what were things that you thought wrestling couldn't be? Or what you thought, your misconceptions you had about wrestling. And he said that it couldn't be funny. Or that it couldn't be, like, dramatic. Or there wouldn't be reasons behind why they fought. And he he proves all of those things. He does, yeah. That's why I love him. <laughs> With the Festival of Friendship as well, when it came to the artwork for this episode, so you know, me and Dan Swanton, the illustrator, we always have a bit of a Skype session beforehand and we chat through the character and their motivation and we maybe listen to some of their music, their entrance music and stuff, maybe watch a match or two. 
most of what I showed Dan for this artwork was the Restful of Friendship video. Yeah. That was pretty much all he needed to know. <laughs> the scowl in his eyes. He, he knew straight away. We were like, we said bully and then we showed him that. And he like, loves okay. zoos <laughs> and he betrays friends. That is, honestly, that is the most emblematic artwork I've ever seen for this show. <laughs> that sums up Kevin Owens perfectly. He loves zoos, but you're not allowed to go. <laughs> At Danny Brennan 72, his first match with Cena was the first time I'd seen him, and I was immediately a fan. His promos are some of the best in the business, and his in-ring style is so unique, it's hard not to love him. His Universal title win is one of my favourite Raw moments ever. Oh man, you know, he's one of those few guys as like an indie wrestler. It happened to me so many times when you know, the indie wrestlers started to come into WWE, like Cesaro and Daniel Bryan and whatnot. I never, always my friends who were WWE fans, like Billy and Adam from the Atchair podcast, and I'd be like, look, Daniel Bryan. <laughs> and like, well, what's the deal? He's just, he's just another wrestler. Mm. But anyone who had never watched Kevin Steen, as soon as they saw Kevin Owens, yep. they were like, fuck, I should have been listening to my indie wrestling friend who was going on about him. Like, he's the one guy who everyone was like, oh, immediately. Yeah. I get why he was a big deal. Absolutely. Matty ID says, The wrestler I associate with the most. A big, sarcastic guy who fought against adversity and stereotypes of larger guys to make it wherever he went. The Steen Generico feud is the best feud ever in wrestling, no doubt in my mind. I would say definitely it's got to be a contender for, for yeah. best feud ever. It's certainly one of the most personal feuds and one of the most, like... When you think that the feud starts with two men in tears in their arms, tears in their eyes, holding each other in their arms with goosebumps, and everyone in the audience crying, and it ends with a dick. Yeah, come on, like it's a it's an emotional feud. At Pat Speed says, "What I like about him is that even though he's a very good comedic wrestler, his ability to always show that his more angrier side is just below the surface, and that the switch between the two never feels out of character or like too much whiplash." This kind of goes in hand with what we were saying earlier about the the skill of being able to pull off comedic wrestling, but mm. also be a genuinely scary heel. Yeah, it's a rare, rare talent. I've often thought, you know. Yeah, I think that very strongly, but mm. I'd struggle to come up with a list of wrestlers who could do it. You know, who could do the bit of comedy. Seth. Seth had a bit of that, yeah, a little bit. Steve Austin, when he was yeah. crazy heel Steve Austin. But you're talking about a very, very small group there, you know. And Kevin, no one did it as good as Kevin Owens. No, absolutely. And also, importantly, Kevin Owens managed to get us all to boo him. Yep. Notice that? Yeah. Anytime he's on a show doing heel stuff, he'll get to cheer when he comes out, but when he does the heel things, people will boo him yeah. and they'll cheer the other guy. I think it's like he's reset next level heelness where people love him and they want to cheer for him, but they respect him so much they need to boo him. I don't think it's just about <laughs> respect though. It's the fact that he he knows exactly what he's doing. It's so intentional. Like yeah. I think that's like his probably his worst nightmare is to be one of those weird tweeners. Yeah. And I think he knows He's got to draw on everything he knows to make sure he's always the nastiest person in the ring if he's a heel. Like, yeah. Chris Jericho is a great heel, mm. but people cheered him when he That's was true. heel. That's true, so yeah. even he can't live up to those standards of Kevin Owens. He always finds the way to, to be that bad guy. I remember, you know, his early time in NXT, he had a small crowd of a couple hundred people, all of whom loved him and were super happy for him, and they were cheering for him non-stop. He got them to boo him. 
by lambasting them every time they would boo that NXT TakeOver is going to be in Brooklyn this year. And he'd be like, what is wrong with you people? You're all hypocrites. You come out here and you cheer us. You think, we chant, we are awesome. You say, you love all these guys. And we're going to get to perform in front of 20,000 people in Brooklyn, the heart of wrestling. And you have the audacity to boo us. You want this brand to fail. You're hypocrites. You should be ashamed of yourselves. And it was like, boo. <laughs> A question now from the Shaxter. If you both went to the zoo with Kevin Owens for the day, what animals would you want to see with him the most? Oh, platypus or moon bear. Moon bear, because I study moon bears in China, I feel that they're a very cute animal. I know he likes the pandas. Uh, there's not just one black and white animal based in China that has a horrible, sad history with it. There's moon bears as well. So I feel like I could give him a lot of fun factoids about that and maybe get him to make a moon bear t-shirt. He also looks a little bit like a moon bear. He does. He looks a lot like a moon bear. Out of all the bears, if it had sort of a moon-shaped crest, a KO, it would be Kevin Owens. Mm. Also platypus as well, because I love a good platypus. I, I love a good monotreme. I know. Mm. I, I always want to see him, and I think he would too. I would pick the panda because I know him and Johnny Gargano. They did a tag team back in the day uh, of the... Was it called the Panda Town? I have no idea. This Wait, is you don't know about this? No. Oh, man. Man. Oh, my God. Yeah, they... Panda-themed tag team. Yeah, no, this was on Absolutely Intense Wrestling. AIW, that's, I think, that's Johnny Gargano's hometown promotion. Right. And it was only just, like, a few months before Kevin Owens was signed with WWE. Uh, Basically, him and Johnny Gargano, they got together. They were like, oh, we have one thing in common, don't we? Yeah, we both love pandas. Amazing. And so they teamed up and they became the Panda Express. Oh my God, what a tag name. Where they literally just cut promos talking about how much they love pandas. Fantastic. So cool. That is the purest thing in wrestling. My God, we don't deserve the likes of Kevin Owens and Johnny Gargano. That's fabulous. So that's why I would go and see the pandas because I'd want to... Invite Johnny along, we'd all go look at the pandas and maybe get them to cut some promos about pandas. Yeah, get some Panda Express on the way home, some good times, some good eats, some good yeah. friends. Excellent question. AD Legend 21 says, seeing his progression in recent months, he's found a way to become quite possibly the most endearing babyface while being given heel material. Yeah. He's one of the best character workers in wrestling today. He's one of the best whiners in wrestling as yeah. well. Like he has been in the storylines where he's been like tormented by Braun Strowman and had like, you know... Shane McMahon, who was essentially the corrupt boss, and he's like on TV saying, you know, I've grown up watching this stuff. I know the McMahons screw over their most popular performers. And it's like, well, he kind of did. Yeah. And even though he still managed to make himself a heel, like that's very impressive that he can kind of pivot all that material and still be hated because of it. Yeah, he can he can take material and make it relatable, which is mm. so important for a heel. I think all heels, you should at least be able to understand their justification. Yeah. But still keep it the heel material. Yeah, yeah. It's very clever. This one from our good friends James D. Leach, the king of the indies and the best wrestler who we all knew was never going to make it to WWE. When he got signed, it felt like a significant watershed moment and he's been incredible at transferring his charisma and personality in smaller settings to huge arenas. Yeah, and I think that now you're noticing people are getting signed to NXT and there's none of this don't get your hopes up shit because of the way your body looks. No one's going to Keith Lee saying don't get your hopes up. You know, no one's going to go to Walter and say don't get your hopes up. There's big guys, big boys are getting signed now and it's not, you know, that's the watershed moment. I think 
we mentioned McFoley and Vader and all these names that had come before and it felt like the line was never drawn. It feels like a line has definitely been drawn now in terms of the hiring practices of the company. There's no asterisks beside heavy set wrestlers' names or atypical body shapes. I really hope so, but until we get women with that level of diversity, yeah. I'm not holding my breath, sadly. I think we've still got a long way to come. Straw mashes. As someone who shamefully can't speak a second language, it's always fascinated me that he learned how to speak English by listening to JR of all of people. What a learning curve. Yeah, the only reason I found out that he was actually French-Canadian is that he used to do the massive wrestling fan Kevin Owens with his silly moveset. He used to do the F5 as one of his setup moves, which he referred to as F-Sank. Oh, I like it. I was like, why is he calling it F-Sank? I was like, oh, wait, fuck. It's it's because it's French. French Canada. And that's how I found out that way. Kevin Chat says, Great talent. I missed the killer KO of 2015. His current role shows the danger of being good at comedy in WWE because then that becomes the only thing writers give you. Mm. I think, you know, Jimmy Jacobs used to be one of the writers and, you know, having your best friend be one of the writers, you know, that's how we got the Festival of Friendship and a lot of that stuff. He was their kind of dedicated he, writer. Yeah, yeah, he knew what Kevin Owens was capable of doing. You wouldn't yeah. want to give the Festival of Friendship angle to, like, most wrestlers. They couldn't pull it off. No, and I think it's, it's safe to say that Many wrestlers, and particularly wrestlers who are in his position, where you know you can you can be in the main event, you you are at that level, but you often aren't in the main event, and that means you're not necessarily getting the top writer and the top focus, and that's when you sometimes get well stuff that doesn't make sense, yeah. you know, and that's a shame. This one from the Gutteridge. I once saw him and Adam Cole at Fight Club Pro. He seemed like a nice guy, but it was later confirmed when he looked after and eventually carried a blackout drunk Cole <laughs> out of a bar later that <laughs> night. Amazing! That's so funny! Isn't it? That's so sweet. I can imagine that perfectly. Oh my god. Yeah, he'll put him in the taxi and give him an extra $5 in case so he doesn't complain about him throwing up. Like, <laughs> what a good guy. Joe, I've had so much fun talking about Kevin Owens with you. Oh, me too. This is like been such a special episode for me like there is honestly like i said at the beginning there is no wrestler that epitomizes my journey through wrestling quite like kevin owens he's been there for me from the very beginning i bloody well hope he's has a long fruitful career oh it's been emotional yeah it's really nice that you get to find the kind of the backstory and some of the kind of pre-wwe information about one of your favorite wrestlers joe's giving the old kevin owens action figure a little bit of a soft kiss there as is deserved but we're going to go back into the past now and look for our next episode and what's going to be quite frankly one of the biggest episodes we have ever done we're talking about one of the most important wrestlers and important characters in professional wrestling history Ooh, yeah! We're not doing another Hulk Hogan, are we? No, Joe, we're doing Macho Man Randy Savage! One of the greatest wrestlers of all time! We're gonna be talking about some Macho Madness. Joanna Graham's gonna go left, I'm gonna go right, dig it! There's gonna be so many impressions. We're gonna be looking at the incredible career at one of the most flamboyant, dynamic, and absolutely probably the most charismatic man in the history of wrestling. It's a guy you've seen? Like, have you seen much Macho Man? The only Macho Man I remember ever seeing was when he ate the Slim Jims. <laughs> so I'm hoping that we get to eat Slim Jims the entire episode. <laughs> All right, we'll just staple some pepperamis together. It'll probably be more or less the same thing. That's just good enough for me. He is a very interesting looking fellow, let's just say. He has got one of the most crazy fucking looks and the most distinct unique voice of all time on promos no one could match this man's intensity in feuds no one could match this 
man's ability to escalate the intensity to the next level over and over again. And you might like him, Joe, because there's only one person he hates in this whole world more than anyone, and that's you, Hulk Hogan, oh yeah! Oh, nice. We're going to be talking about the real-life bad blood and kayfabe bad blood between Macho Man Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan, a.k.a. Terry Bollea. So that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to chart his course through WWF, WCW, and the rocky relationship he had with the company after he left and his eventual induction into the Hall of Fame. We're after matches, promos, most importantly. I'm talking like this guy, the promos are almost as important as the matches. We said that with Piper, that the promos Mm. are almost more important than the matches. Normally means they're not a very good wrestler. But he is. He's honestly, he has got... A few matches under his belt, Joe, that people consider to this day to be the greatest wrestling match of all time. Wow. Him versus Ricky Steamboat at WrestleMania 3 is often cited as the best wrestling match of all time. Oh, I like Ricky Steamboat. He's a hunk. It is. So you're going to watch some fucking hunks collide. He's one sexy mama jammers. They don't call him Macho Man for nothing. You asked me if I thought Macho Man was hunky. Oh, come on, he I'm is. I'm offended. He's, he's a, you don't just coronate anyone to be a macho king, Joe. I saw him without his sunglasses in a picture once, yeah. and he looked like an alien. <laughs> like, I... I'm... I have a feeling that like if he takes his sunglasses off, he's got laser eyes. Yeah. Um, that like, but they don't they don't cause fires or anything. They're not like that kind of laser. They like they cause like advanced decomposition. Yeah. Like if he looked at you, your body body would like wither away. <laughs> if he looks at an apple, it would rot. I don't know why I think that, but I, I do. I love this. You're already on the next plane of macho madness. I know nothing about him. I want everyone to snap into it with the hashtag. How to Macho Man, and we are going to get into Randy Savage, and I'm so goddamn excited, it's going to be fucking wild. You know very little about this man, probably, I can't think of many big names in wrestling who you know less about. Yeah, honestly, I I really do know nothing. It's the song... Macho, macho man. Is that about him? No, but you'll never go to a graduation and hear that music the same way ever again. Joe, you're going to start twirling at graduations. That's all I'm going to say. Folks, I've got some fucking work ahead of me. I need your help. How to macho man. We can't let Joe Graham leave this couch when we record this episode thinking that he's a weird, lame alien. We have to make sure she knows that he is a fucking wrestling god and god's gift to wrestling charisma at interviews. I'm so excited. I cannot wait to get into it. Let us know your match recommendations, your thoughts, and thank you everyone for contributing to How To Kevin Owens. It's been an absolute wild time and a fun time as always. And until next time, we're going to be talking about Macho Man Randy Savage. It'll be a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. And we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya!